Hello, it's Stephen Hill from the Riot Act podcast here. You are about to listen to episode 96 of the podcast, uh, which we recorded on the 2nd of June 2020. Um, it's going to be myself, obviously, Renfrey Deadman, as always, and we have our special guest, Mr. Matt Stocks, joining us on the show this week. A couple of things why you're getting me chatting to you at the start. The first one is due to the difficulties of recording mobily with three different people, there's a slight drop off in terms of the audio quality from our show uh, this week. So we just want to come on. And if you notice that, uh, apologies, we're just as you know, with everything with recording remotely um and in different parts of the the country from each other at the moment it's uh it's something which we're kind of learning how to do on the job so normal kind of service will be resumed straight away but obviously we want to try and get guests on as much as possible matt was available and we wanted to chat to him and he is on the show this week um i'm also coming to you because during the show we say that we are not going to be reviewing the new run the jewels records uh this week um i actually requested the album and um I got it through this morning. I'm talking to you now uh, about four o'clock on the 3rd of June. Um, so we'd already recorded the episode. We didn't have the Run the Jewels album. I got it through this morning and I was like, oh, that's a bummer. We're not going to be able to do it until next week. I then listened to the record and um, and felt that it was incredibly important that we covered the record as soon as we possibly could. Um, the themes of the record are very, very pertinent right now. And I think it's essential that Renfrew and I very much nail our colours to the mast and um, make our opinions on much of the subject matter regarding that record and just the general state of the world currently clear. Um, so that's why we've decided to include a review of the new Run the Jewels album, which I actually say in the podcast we won't be doing this week. Well, we are doing it and that will be coming up later on. But um, that's, that is for later on. So enjoy the show as normal, with the added little bonus of the Run The Jewels review as well. I'm going to hand over to myself now. All right, hello, welcome to Riot Act, the alternative music podcast. This is episode 96. It's with me, Stephen Hill, and with my good friend, Renfrey Deadman. Renfrey. Hello. 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 How are you doing? I'm good. I'm very, very good. It's very warm, and I'm happy. Oh, well, I'm delighted to hear that. We're probably very happy as we're also joined this week by friend of the show, friend of ours, friend of yours, friend of planet Earth, uh, Mr. <laughs> Matt Stocks. Matt, how you doing? I'm good, mate. I am trying to be as good as I can to planet Earth as well. I've become very conscious of recycling in the last couple of years. And um, yeah, I would say your analogy of me being a green, you know, orientated kind of guy is not too far from the truth. A lean green <laughs> grilling machine. I did just grill some halloumi for my lunch as well. Halloumi and avocado bun. So you are on the money today, Stephen. Lovely stuff. Halloumi Lovely and stuff. avocado. Yes, please. Yes, Renfrey, please. last week you were eating bloody after eights at quarter past <laughs> midday. Let's true. not pretend. So yeah, after eight some sort of health addict. I got, Unbelievable. A box, I got a box of after eights from uh, Morrison's for 79p. And, you know, I, I was just <laughs> truffling on them last week. It wasn't good. Wow. It wasn't professional. Other, other confectionery and um, uh, sh- sh- supermarkets uh, and podcasts are available. Yeah. Uh, so um, before we go on, we should say thanks very much to our friends at Musicism. Musicism.net over there. They do fantastic courses for you, the budding singer, songwriter, the guitarists, the producers of this world, anyone looking to um, hone their skills in the world of music. You can get 25% off their courses if you go and put Riot 
in capitals in the checkout. That's very good. Thanks very much to them. Uh, on this week's show, we're going to be reviewing new albums from 156 Silence, from Katie Malko, and from The Weapon. Plus, on Broken Records, we look, <laughs> we take a look at Grunge's Bastard Sons return to the mainstream as we talk about Bush and their Black and White Rainbows album. Um, we did, I mean, a few people asked us if we would be reviewing the Run the Jewels album, which feels like quite a... Uh, a prescient record to be reviewing next week we will definitely be doing the run the jewels album amongst other things so you know if you're waiting for that 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 is definitely coming next week um we should say this week renfrey you and i we did nearly six hours on the manic street preachers over on our patreon page absolutely um, yeah. three hours on holy bible three hours on everything must go it was lovely stuff. I've been waiting a long time. Matt, you know how much I love the Manics, don't you? I certainly do. You actually did a bonus Patreon podcast for me talking about how much you love them. The Holy Bible record. Yes, I did. Are you a Manix fan, Matt? I really like the early stuff, the kind of glammy, gritty. Obviously, Holy Bible's great as well. Um, <clears throat> I probably really delved in around 2010, so I was quite late to the game with them. Um, but I certainly lean more towards the earlier stuff. But then that being said, Postcards from a Young Man, there was a single I, around that absolutely. time that I was playing yep. on Kerrang! And whilst it is a bit more kind of U2 stadium rock style, still just a great tune. And, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. and I just find Nicky Wire a really enigmatic, fascinating dude. Absolutely. We both said almost exactly the same. Uh, like We're both massive fans of the early records, particularly the first three I'll say Steve's a big fan of the first four. Uh, mm -hmm. But then, yeah, postcards from a young man, plague, um, plague journal, journal, plague, for journal for plague, plague lovers. lovers is amazing. Um, yeah, they've done some great latter day stuff, although not future. Resistance is as we resistance is future. Oh God, he keeps going on about future. He won't let it go. Futurology. <laughs> Renfrey obsessed with futurology by the Mount Street Preachers. I hey, I'm, I'm going to put. I'm going to put that in broken records just so you finally get a legitimate chance to talk about <laughs> it. Oh, it's not a bad idea, actually. It's not a bad idea. I don't know if it counts as a broken record, to be honest, but yeah. No, not really. But um, yeah, I mean, I I, I love that period of the Mount Street Preachers. I think, as we said on the specials, one of the most fascinating transitions in the history of popular music, full stop from the Holy Bible to everything must go. Um, yeah, it was great to be able to talk about it in kind of in depth. Um, and if you want to listen, so obviously we... What well, like we've been doing recently, we put the first part out for free. So you can listen to the whole kind of two and a half plus hours on the Holy Bible. And if you listen to that and you think, this seems like I want to listen to the rest of it and it would be worth some money. If you sign up for our £5 tier on patreon.com forward slash right act podcast, you can listen to the second part talking about everything must go where um, Renfrey has a, a few, a, a few sort of reservations about that album but i think you came around to it a little bit I more do. In the end, didn't you? I'm, i came around to it a lot man i mean you know i uh, well i don't want to spoil this but yeah i i i after have having after being forced to really listen to the nuances and subtleties of that record mm. i really came around to it i think it's a much better record than i gave it credit for yeah, it's a great record. Um, also, continuing the kind of 90s glammy rock theme, uh, over on our Patreon page this week, we just had a special podcast go out as well on Placebo's debut album, which was a lot of fun. Yep. You a fan of Placebo, Matt? Again, I love their early stuff. I love DJ and like yeah. Nancy Boy and tunes like that out and about. You so rarely mm. hear them as well. And I mean, what kind of happened to them? I don't recall ever uh, seeing them tour in the last sort of five to six years anywhere. They, have they, they, have they been on the road or...? 
they they did a 20 years of placebo tour yeah three years ago right um and they were doing like brixton academy and venues like that but it was a massive tour they they went all over the uk uh sadly hampered by brian molko getting uh throat complications midway through we discussed this a little bit on the rises yeah. review but yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. And also they did a MTV Unplugged session around mm. five years ago as well. Which is I brilliant. say MTV Unplugged, they did an Unplugged session. Um, yeah, I think they're, they're one of those bands who sort of retreated from... I mean, we talk about this in the podcast about Placebo's debut album, about it being a mainstream smash that probably never should have been a mainstream smash. You listen to that record and it has so little to do with what was going on in Britpop or in new Metal and you just think what a weird little kind of odd album to become this smash hit record but you know um i think they've just sort of been being their own doing their own thing you know That's not in the mainstream but still trundling on when the songs are that good though he's got a bit of a billy it. corgan vibe about him with his voice hasn't he as well yeah kind of yeah, vampiric totally. yeah i love brian Molko. i think he's a fucking star i mean especially back in those days um he was just, I mean, like we say in the podcast, I don't want to spoil the podcast too much, but like to give that little of a fuck mm. about, you know, when these kind of bucket hatted indie lads are roaming around and you're there in like lipstick and eyeliner and full kind of glammed up stuff, like does not give a shit, never back down, fucking hero. It's proper, it's proper Iggy hero. Pop, David Bowie kind of sex, drugs, yeah. rock and roll grit, isn't it? Mm, yeah, yeah, Bowie particularly. I mean, the, the relationship between placebo and Bowie is... Um, uh, well-trodden ground but um yeah bowie was a big fan of placebo took took them out on the road uh mm-hmm. duetted with them on a on a massively uh superior version of without you i'm nothing to the one on the album um so yeah yeah absolutely who's got the birds outside their window i can hear them tweeting away i think that's probably you, I think me that's steve yeah well i'm i'm yeah. still in the city aren't i so you know, no no birds here round here we say birds <laughs> not bitches i um have <laughs> lovely love lovely little tweety lovely birds in my garden. all right bill oddy oh. <laughs> yeah bloody happy to be bill oddy happy to be bill oddy. we've, we've um, actually turned so... into spring watch since you last came on the show matt so uh <laughs> well, i'm thrilled like to be watching. talking about yeah nature and wildlife and the planet <laughs> save the trees mm. so anyway um all that's over on patreon.com forward slash right act podcast apart from the nature <laughs> and the trees and the birds that's here that stay here for stuff. that <laughs> yeah stay here for that um so we should say before we go any further um we're actually recording this uh show on the day of the um show must be paused hashtag where the music industry has basically kind of stopped all of content um obviously in support of the black lives matter movement now i don't think any of us here hopefully no one listening needs us to explicitly say that we are anti-racist i mean i think that should be the base starting point from where everybody assumes you are from clearly um we support that movement uh, I, well i we do don't we yeah it's interesting because at the moment <laughs> i'm going through okay. a lot of old interviews from my podcast to transcribe for my book which i'm sure we'll talk about later on and mm-hmm. um around the time that i'm currently in it was when the me too movement had just exploded about three years ago so i'm transcribing a lot of females talking to me and giving me their perspective on that and it just you know to kind of sit hand in hand with what's going on now with the insane 
level of violence um you know sweeping america and in in many cases rightly so like it just really shows how little we have progressed another episode i recently transcribed was be real talking about the rodney king incident in an anecdote that he's sharing and that was 91 and you think well 30 years later this is still happening and in many ways the george uh, george floyd thing's even worse because you know at least rodney king survived he was badly brutally beaten but he lived and and george floyd you know, obviously died. And you think 30 years on, all these movements and everything you would think is progressing and pushing the world forward, but actually, in fact, you know, so little has changed and so much still needs to be done. Yeah. I would like to point people in the direction of um, the, the 1992 documentary, which is on Netflix, which kind of details the similarities between the LA riots in 1965, the kind of LA race riots in 1965, and the uh, LA riots of 1992 that Matt was just referring to in the aftermath of um, what happened with Rodney King. I also think there is a documentary about OJ Simpson called OJ Made in America, which is a, I think it's a six or eight part, and each episode is is kind of feature length, hour and a half long episode. So it's quite an undertaking. You're looking at a good kind of 12, 15 hours of your life, but it's quite possibly, I know I said this about the Defiant Ones, but in terms of a documentary, um, it might be one of the, certainly one of, if not possibly the best documentary on anything I've ever seen. And the relationship between OJ Simpson's life and the kind of the 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 kind of um race equality movement that, that happened in america from the the mid 60s up until i mean they basically go up until today really um over those kind of eight episodes the parallels and the kind of juxtaposition between this very rich athlete and who's come from a very poor background and and how his kind of his how society has moved on is absolutely incredible the kind of to, to to see someone really articulate those parallels it's amazing um but again to watch that a couple of weeks ago and then to see what's happening right now you do get a sense that nothing can or will ever change. like i genuinely without wanting to sound don't to put too much of a downer on it i mean the reason i brought this up is because i mean i was going to ask you guys what does a day or a hashtag or some sort of social media form of protest actually do in the real world i think that's part of my hesitation um when you said is this a movement we support uh, it's it's uh, a politic that i support and it's a uh, um it's uh <clears throat> obviously i want to you know crush race racism in any way shape or form if at all possible um I just wonder if obviously these movements do give great publicity to um, causes, but I feel like most people should know by now that it's about putting black people on a platform for one day. But um, I mean, we were sort of having a discussion about this this morning, Steve, you get a lot of sort of white people talking about how black lives matter. And then that gets uh, that, just throws more debris out there into the internet world rather than actually putting black voices on top. So I wonder if it, 
I, I think it's great to show your support. And we were discussing this morning about whether we were going to do anything for it or not to show our support or not and decided that in many ways you're damned if you do and damned if you don't um, in this sort of s social media age that we're in um, and therefore decided not to do anything about it, which doesn't mean we don't support it. Um, I suppose there are there are other ways which are probably more productive. And I fear that sometimes these hashtags and these movements make people feel as if they're being productive but in the real world i don't know mm. i don't know if individuals are being productive by sharing a hashtag where it but i mean I, it, it, it's it's a tricky area it's a very very gray area and i don't want to be making out that i'm like anti-black lives matter the movement. no 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 no. i, I think yeah. you need to be able to question things like you know the kind of the hashtag the show must be paused thing because I'm not saying that it's not a nice sentiment. It obviously is. Yeah. But I mean, if you if you don't question, if, if you're not allowed to question something, it becomes faith then, doesn't it? It becomes dogmatic. Yeah. And that is not what people want. I don't think people should obviously be pressured into not doing anything. Um, they should want to not do anything to support it. But then at the same time, I mean, <laughs> I'm quite surprised that people still think social media has any kind of, or Twitter has any kind of power at all, really. I mean, if you listen to Twitter, we, you know, if Twitter was right and, and had any kind of impact, the United Kingdom would still be in the European Union, Jeremy Corbyn would be Prime Minister, and Hillary Clinton would be the President of the United States. It bears no resemblance to the real world, unfortunately, I, the, the I, majority of what goes on on social media. I think that's more to do with, um, what's the term? I'm going to say social bubbles, but that's not it. The, 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 what's the bubble? Echo chamber. The echo chamber. Yeah, yeah. I think that's more to do with echo chamber stuff than social media as a whole. Um, but one other thing I was just going to bring up is it, it sort of echoes this, something we've had in the UK is every Thursday, people popping out of their homes at eight o'clock, uh, in the evening to clap the NHS to show our support for what they've been doing. And that, started as a quite a cool nice movement with a um with very good intentions behind it and a lot of people have become quite fed up with it quite quickly and it's there's been quite a backlash against it because a lot of people are saying well a lot of those people probably voted Tory and they're the reason why the NHS is crumbling and yada 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 and I've spoken to a lot of nurse friends of mine as well who kind of find it patronizing whilst at the same time they appreciate people um, appreciating their work. They also find it quite a patronising thing to do because really, in reality, what would be useful is if there weren't cuts being made to the NHS and if there wasn't lots of administration being chucked into it to make it far more complicated than it should be, et cetera, et cetera, mm. et cetera. So, so there's always two sides to it. I, I Broadly, I think it's a bit of a shitty thing to have a go at people who have good intentions. So it's never something that I would like rally against massively, but at the same no. time, yeah. I just wonder if the music industry should really be patting itself on the back thinking that it's actually doing anything when I, I you know, I'd like to see Jimmy Page go out and brick a cop in the face. <laughs> but, <laughs> like, do that. Um, Matt, what, you, what Matt? do you... Sorry. Um... God, I'm going to try and not go off on a rant, so reel me in if I do, but I think a lot of stuff that you mentioned there to go off the back of that, first of all, intention is everything. 
And I think it's the intention of the individual which determines my opinion on it or not. You know, um, I think no action is right or wrong because everybody has their reasoning for why they're doing it. And actions obviously do speak louder than words. And if you do want to make a change, especially with a lot of these big companies, uh, a hashtag isn't going to maybe change anything in the way that, you know, giving money to organizations that could be out there putting that to good use would. Um, and what about the other 364 days of the year when you can be actively fighting racism within your company? Um, and, and supporting black artists and actually taking proactive, productive steps. Also, let's be real, the show has been on pause for two months because we're in fucking lockdown. So you're not really doing anything by saying, oh, we're taking a day off social media. You've been off everything for two months because the music mm. industry is on complete shutdown. That being said, it's important to stand up now and say, not only am I not racist, but fuck racism. And if you're racist, then really fuck you. And I just shared a picture of a Black Lives Matter sign with some of my thoughts on it on my Instagram page yesterday. And I had, you know, about a dozen or so, which isn't a lot, but enough to notice a dozen or so people drop off and unfollow, uh, unfollow me. So hopefully, you know, just by sharing a picture, if you have a certain following, you can let people know out there who think that it's OK to think these things that it's actually not. And so whilst it might not seem like you're doing anything, if just one racist out there is questioning their beliefs um, or their, I don't know, right to look at another person because of the color of their skin or whatever is inferior. If that forces them to question that and, and makes them uncomfortable, then I think that's a positive thing. I think it is doing good. I think it's a tidal ripple effect that could spread out. The internet is a very powerful tool and it can change people's opinions. I do think that. I'm seeing a lot of videos of the violence and stuff that's going on at the moment in America. And when you see it, it makes it a lot more real and it brings it home, I think. And it makes you want to mm. step into gear and step up and, and show your allegiance and your support. So I think the Black Lives Matter movement is incredible. As for the show must be paused or whatever that's called, that's just another example, I think, of, as Steve said, the music industry patting itself on the back and wanting to align itself with a cause that, you know, portrays them in a good light. Like, oh, look at them. They're right on. Are you right on? Well, show me that you're right on. How are you right on? Um, you know, and, and the intentions are probably pure. I'm not saying that they're not, you know, but I think if you want to make a difference, if you want to make a stand, if you want to do right and you want to do good, then do something more than just a, a mm. social media post. I'm pretty fired up about I mean, it and I'm pretty angry and I'm pretty yeah. upset. And, you know, I've got a lot of close friends who live in America and I'm seeing, you know, stuff going on a couple of streets down from where they live. And it's like apocalypse, man. It's full blown end of days. Like you've got Donald Trump running away to hide in the bunker or hiding behind a Bible. And you just think, well, there was a guy 60 years ago that would be in that position. You know, this fascist guy who brings in a sweep of nationalism into his country. And then when things get out of hand and the tide turns, he runs off and hides Adolf fucking Hitler and the parallels, mm. you know, not to be too extreme about it. The parallels are there. They're notable. It's a scary time. Yeah, it certainly is. Um, I mean, you know, I've said a few times, obviously my girlfriend's American and she's really quite genuinely struggling with seeing because she's, you know, I think the sad thing is, is she's very patriotic and you can kind of go, oh, patriotism. And I'm always a bit like, really patriotism? But you know, she is. And, um, and for her to see her country being torn apart in this way is upsetting for her. And, mm. you know, I don't want to see her get upset like that. And, and, but then, you know, I think there's such a massive societal shift that would need to happen from you know, it, whatever these rights, whatever happens, it's, 
it needs to be people at the very very top of every tree yes like changing our completely changing our, our system i mean well, it's systematic it isn't it it's deep rooted yeah. and it comes from parents and institutions like the church schools the government and you know nothing like this was won overnight it's a long hard road to change but i do feel if you look at what happened with the me too movement that changed the way and i'm sure you'd agree with this as guys that changed the way i thought about women it did it, it forced me to question things that i'd said or thought were okay in the past and it forced me to accept that as a white man i'm in a position of privilege and i think this hopefully is doing that same thing as white men we are in a position of privilege and if you're not as a white man you know comfortable with accepting that then you are part of the problem mm. yeah and I hope everyone's cool with that and doesn't think that we're attacking them and everything. I mean, what I would say is if you are one of those fucking, what about Lee Rigby? Like fucking hashtag all lives matter people and you want to get angry with us, just unfollow us and fuck off. Um, <laughs> so let's move on. Um, the voice of reason in the room as always. I love it. <laughs> we, we want to have you as a listener about as much as you want to listen to us. So there you go. Um, Matt, you mentioned your book. Yes, mate. Um, let's talk about your, yeah, you've got an actual book coming out i've got an actual physical real life book coming out in september my first of its kind um we're actually going to be doing three volumes it's kind of amazing how it's all unfolded i'll tell you the quick anecdote wow. as to how it came about first if you're up for it yeah go for it well up for so it so it was my birthday on march the 11th and i was on my way to see brian ferry at the royal albert hall that night that was actually my last gig which is quite a nice last gig to have because it has a lot of happy mm -hmm. memories around it and it was just an amazing show. So that's kind of kept me going over the last two months. And I get an email out of the blue the day before my birthday, so March the 10th. And this is obviously, of course, the week before we go into lockdown. And is that a knock at someone's door? <laughs> it's a knock at my door. <laughs> Are you going to um, let him in? I don't think I am, actually. No. <laughs> I don't think I am. Brilliant. Back to my story then. So I get an email from this yeah. guy. His name's Tyson Cornell. He's actually my guest this week on the podcast. So if you want to hear him um, chatting about his publishing label, which is going to be putting out my book, you can do so. And he runs this um, imprint called Rare Bird, which is a very reputable, very credible, very cool, um, authentic label. Um, and he's put out books by the likes of Sean Penn, I can never say the guy's name, but Chuck Palahniuk, you know the guy? Chuck Palahniuk. There you go. Yeah. Palahniuk. It's a tough one, isn't it? Ne neither of them. Keith I Buckley's thought, thought two was, novels. I thought it was Palahniuk. I think it is that. Uh, doesn't matter. I think yeah, it is that. Um, and it's just a great publishing house. It's got a lot of quote-unquote alternative artists and writers under its umbrella. And the guy who runs that emailed me out of the blue and he said, I discovered your podcast a few weeks ago through the Keith Buckley episode and I've since then dived in and I must have heard about 50 and I just love the show and I think you're a really good interviewer and I'm going to be in London well I'm in London now for this literary event but because of all the COVID stuff the event was cancelled and so he was basically just trying to fill his time taking meetings and he was asking a lot of I think his writers if they knew people in London that would be good to meet so Keith Buckley suggested he meet me and I need to say thank you publicly to Keith for doing so. And so I thought, well, I love taking business meetings on my birthday because it always means I can get a free drink or a free meal out of the guy. So, <laughs> so that was all I expected and wanted. I was like, I'm going to go meet up with him. I'll get a free bit of scram uh, and then I'll go see Brian Ferry at the Royal Albert Hall. It turns out he was going to that gig as well. Now, I went and took the meeting 
And as a lot of Americans are, they're quite direct and forward and straight to the point. And it was only about five minutes after I'd sat down that he said, so uh, have you thought about doing a book? And on my feet, I kind of started pitching him these ideas, just like, you know, pulling them out of the hat on the spot. And he's like, they're all great. They sound good. But I'm thinking we do like a podcast book where we transcribe the interviews from your show and present it in a way which, you know, kind of tells a story and and has a thread. And this is something I've been considering for a while anyway, since a conversation I had with one of my previous guests about six months ago. But the the undertaking always just seemed too big because there's so many episodes now. And I just thought to start that task without any guarantee that there's going to be a book at the end of it. It's just, it's too daunting. Whereas this guy comes along on my birthday, like a kind of gift from God just presented. And he said, yeah, I want to put out a book by you. So that kind of motivated me and got me inspired to start writing. And then of course the next week we're in lockdown. And all my DJ gigs have gone, all my live Q&As are gone, my podcast sponsors have dried up, all my income apart from my Patreon page has completely evaporated, so it could not come at a better time. So I started writing and I must have done about five episodes, I sent him those transcripts to, I guess, get him excited, and then, you know, the next thing I know I'm signing a contract and it's official and it's set in stone and I'm going to be releasing my first book via the Rare Bird imprint on September the 6th. I've finished transcription, as I said, so the next phase is ordering what all those people have to say into the chapters that I have, and then I write my intros to each chapter, the main intro to the book, and then I'm done, hopefully, by July the the 3rd. The So if people want to pre-order the book, they can do so now, Um, and if you use the code RBDevotee2020, you'll get 20% off till June the 16th. Um, And the place to go is rarebirdlit.com, or you can head over to my Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram pages and hit the link in my bio. And then, um, yeah, RB Devotee 2020 for 20% off till June 16th. That's the pitch. I know it's a long one. In and out. <laughs> yeah, no. But that's that was, basically I, what I've, I've been working on for the last two months, man. It, as I said, it could not have come at a better time. And it's been a really enjoyable, fun process revisiting these episodes in, in new light because you can hear something and think that you've kind of taken in all the points and absorbed it in a full rich three-dimensional way but then when you start seeing these words on the page and reading them back it almost takes on a whole new life and it's going to be presented in a way like the it's a bad reference i guess but like the dirt is in the sense that you'll have different points of view on the same subject you know back and forth interlapping and kind of cutting in quite a choppy fast-paced way so it should hopefully be quite a uh, an exciting read you know not just pages and pages of transcripts from conversations that people could just go and listen to you know i've made a point of trying to present it in a way that it's it's a new thing it gives Sounds you great man yeah it gives you a different outlook doesn't it um the author of um the dirt neil what's his face strauss neil strauss he did um he uses that quite a lot where he like takes uh lots of interviews and cuts them up basically and just paste them just to sort of give an overview on a theme and it sounds like um uh, you'll be going down a similar route so that sounds cool thanks yeah. man yeah man. yeah it's gonna it's gonna read like a movie script i guess you've just got a massive table with 35 people all sat around it and you'll drop a title card in the middle and it'll say politics and religion yeah. and then everybody just starts yeah. waxing on that subject so yeah mm-hmm. it's been a really cool exciting new experience for me and I'm just beyond thrilled to have it on such a credible and amazing publishing house as well. 
Sounds great, mate. Well, there you go. Um, make sure you pick up a copy. I'm going to get a copy of that. You're going to. Well, are you going to sort us one out, Matt? You can sort me and I'll sort you boys out a copy for review. I'll get yeah, you a copy each. Yeah, and then <laughs> you can you can give it a review, and you can either say nice or terrible things about it because I know you're always honest. And yeah. we, we'd like to review some books on here. We've talked about that quite a lot. So um, well, there you so go. Maybe this could be the first on one. Yeah, I'll give yeah, you an yeah, advanced yeah. copy, like you know, a few weeks before it comes out. Yeah, that'd be amazing. There we go. Yeah. All right, deal. We're going to do... We, that's it, Renfrew. We're going to do a book special, you and I. The old Riot Act book club. It's going to happen. I think we should. <laughs> There's some great stuff coming out. Mark Lanigan's just released his bio. Yeah, I just bought that Skin. the other day. Yeah, Skin's releasing her memoirs from Skunk and Nancy. I'm sure that's going to be fascinating, you know, so yeah. I, I've got a review copy of the, the new Nine Inch Nails book. Oh, wow. Ooh, that's yeah. Coming out as well. Yeah, 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 so, yeah. Okay. There you go. Um, we should also talk about um, Renfrey. I haven't asked you this much recently, but have you done been watching any live streams or any um, you know on any online stuff that's been going on? I've watched a couple because uh, oh. I, I watched the I watched the live take that one the other day. Oh yeah. So we don't have to review, but I know Matt, you brought this up. The Dropkick Murphys did a full blown stadium show that they live streamed that you watched right yeah they did live from fenway park last saturday night and they had bruce springsteen as a special guest and amazing <laughs> on the whole i've been trying to avoid them because there's something a little bit soulless and tacky i find with watching somebody in their bedroom you know on their acoustic guitar and it just looks like an audition tape and yeah. for the large part i've avoided them i would sooner just hold out and wait for the real thing to return and you know then the payoff mm. is that much greater and also you can do without gigs for a while i know it's a thing that we're probably all missing and lacking in our lives but you know i think it's an opportunity to <laughs> referencing what we were talking about earlier to actually hit pause and reflect on other things and use the time to read and you know do whatever you want to do learn to cook etc um so i've avoided them for the large part i've been watching jesse mallins every week because he's doing the foreword to my book so i've been wanting to show him some love and support and actually through watching his he's very well suited to that style because he mixes his shows up and he'll have comedy routines and bits and skits and stories and he's just a, a really great orator and storyteller so it works with people like that and he makes it really intimate and he presents it in such a way that it's done in the nightclub kind of this basement of this nightclub in new york and it's all decked out with fairy lights and curtains and things so it looks nice and then he has great guests like debbie harry was just on last week but what the dropkick murphys oh. did was they approached it like a full-on stadium show the production value was through the roof. They had drone shots, they had cranes. It was a whole documentary before the gig as well about the history of Fenway Park Stadium and the Boston baseball team and their connection to that ground and that team. And they talk about the city a lot and they get all these different actors and comedians from Boston appearing to talk. And it was all in aid of, I can't remember the exact two charities, but it was all in aid of raising money for these two charities. And so it, it was like a kind of like a live aid or a comic relief type massive event. And then the gig itself was cool because they're on the field and they're all on the diamonds of the baseball, whatever you call it pitch. And it just mm. looked I mean, apart from the fact that it was empty and there was no crowd there, it yeah. looked like a full-blown stadium show. And it was, it, it, it was, for me, the closest that I felt to being at a live gig since March the 11th, since my last show. It was so good. And yeah, they just really went to town with the presentation of it. And 
and they killed it. And then they brought Bruce Springsteen out for one of their songs and one of his at the end. And, and so he's there on the scoreboard, live from, from wherever he was from, his rehearsal space. And they're sort of talking to him from the pitch and looking up. And I got like a little six pack of beer in and some chips. And well, I say chips. I'm talking like an American myself now because I've been listening to them so much. <laughs> I got some crisps in, crisps and dips. Yeah. And, and had like a really good Saturday night in. And it was the first one I'd really felt like, oh, wow, I'm connected to a live experience here. This is great. So yeah, if you want, I think it's still on their YouTube and Facebook pages. So if you want to check it out, I think it's still there, and I highly recommend it. Awesome. I might watch that. Mm. Have you you've been uh, watching a bit of Devin Townsend? Haven't you, I've Renfrew? been doing. Yeah, Devin's been doing them really well because he's been doing them in a sort of in his own sort of small setup, like total opposite to what you've just been talking about in like a stadium show. But he's been doing it. He's got his Ziltoid puppet who will like interrupt the transmission and stuff like that <laughs> and start calling everyone a twat or whatever. And he's really thought them through and, and, and he's playing a bunch of songs which are unreleased uh, because Devin works so fucking hard. Oh, nice. Despite, yeah. the, despite the fact that, you know, he has 27 records or whatever, if you if you count everything he's done, he still has shitloads of unreleased material, you know, so he's just kind of literally going, okay, this song's unreleased, guys. Let me know what you think of it. If you don't like it, maybe we can write it by committee kind of thing, <laughs> you know. Um, and I'm really enjoying those. He's done four now, I think. And they were all um, raising money for various charity um, health organisations around the world. He did one for the NHS, which raised sixty-five thousand yeah. pounds, I believe. Mm. Um, so yeah, those are awesome. I'm really enjoying yeah. those. I think it really helps someone like Devin, who is just super personable and just a genuinely exactly. lovely man, to sit and watch someone playing in their own rehearsal room. Whereas, like I said, I watched to take that one and was like, "Man, Robbie Williams is a right wanker," and just, <laughs> <laughs> like strip everything away. Didn't from they bill it as take like, that with Robbie Williams as well? So yeah, he still yeah, thinks yeah. So I'm bigger than the band. I'm bigger than the band. Yeah, yeah. It was. Um, oh, we don't need to review that. It was. Uh, it was not good. Anyway, let's do some actual reviews. All right, before we get into the reviews with Matt, um, as I said at the start of the podcast, this is a little pause and we're going to be slipping into our first review of the week as you listen to the show, um, that being the fourth Run the Jewels album. Um, we've usually... time-travelled. We've just time-travelled. Yeah. In the space of a few seconds, we've travelled forward a day. But for you lot listening, nothing has changed nothing has changed i'm just watching devs which is the new alex garland thing and that's got a bit of time travelly twisty wisty stuff in it i won't go much further into it because i'd spoil it but that felt like a devs moment mm. I, I think this is the first time that we've ever done this that we've um as i kind of explained in the intro uh we didn't get sent this record um when we came to record on Tuesday, the 2nd of June. We're speaking now on the 3rd of June. I woke up this morning, as I said, and it was in my my inbox. And, um, and I gave it a listen. And, well, I'm going to read you this. Um, this is a, a lyric from the song Walking in the Snow. They promise education, but they really give you tests and scores. And they predict in prison population by who score in the lowest. And usually the lowest scores, the poorest, and they look like me. And every day on evening news, they feed, feed you fear for free. And you, so numb, you watch the cops choke out a man like me until my voice goes from a shriek to a whisper, I can't breathe. Now that was not recorded this week. 
um, as I say that straight away, having listened to the record, it's quite difficult to like when you hear the record and obviously I hope all of you will go and listen to the record. Um, that wasn't recorded or written this week. That's been something which has been um, reverberating round uh, Killer Mike's head, obviously, for some time. So we're talking about the fourth album from Killer Mike in ELP, aka the critically acclaimed hip-hop crossover crew, Run the Jewels. This is the follow-up to RTJ3, the critically acclaimed album of 2016. It has a Metacritic score of 88. Um we wanted to rec- we wanted to review this record, but certainly on the week that this um, this album came out, um, I didn't think it could wait a week. Personally, Renfrey, a hundred percent. It just seems to sometimes you just get sort of. I don't want to describe this as a gift because it's based on. Um, it's as a result of horrific events but sometimes things just fall into your lap and you just kind of go well we have to we have to include Mm. this in this particular show and and yes the normal procedure would have been for us to just go well we got the promo too late we'll do it next week but it just feels too important too pressing Uh, yeah i mean just before we get right right into it um run the jewels are kind of one of the names, certainly, I think, that constantly get brought up when the likes of Download Festival asked whether or not they should be including hip-hop artists or, you know, what the wild cards should be. And I think it's quite easy to understand why that is. I saw a little bit of Run the Jewels when they supported Bring Me the Horizon last year at All Points East. And they have a sound that fits in far more with the classic kind of old-school hip-hop from a time when it was much more easily linked with, with metal. I think both of those genres have continued to move further and further apart from each other as the years have progressed but run the jewels do have a sound from that kind of those halcyon days that glorious era when metal and hip-hop felt like it was kind of uh you know two different sides of this of a similar coin I, I think that's fair to say would you agree with that well even as someone who uh, is is publicly more naive to this whole scene um, and this is the only Run the Jewels album I've ever heard. Probably won't be a massive surprise to long-term listeners. Um, uh, even from the two listens, that's another thing we should say. I, I've only had an opportunity to listen to this album twice. You've listened to it a few more times than that. Yeah, five um, times. But uh, um, yeah, so it's probably not going to be quite as uh, in-depth. But um it's it's obvious to me that this would work more for download crowd than i mean this is more obvious to me than chase and stasis was for example yeah definitely um not to say i don't think at all that their music is regressive in their approach you know this isn't kind of trying to sound like you know old school hip-hop but it's just that it hits harder uh, i i think than what the modern stereotype of hip-hop has become um the vocal approach is definitely more aggressive than most modern hip-hop and lyrically most importantly as i've sort of already touched on they're a great representation of the more progressive and politically charged acts that the kind of that made hip-hop such an exciting movement back in the 
you know, kind of late eighties through to the the mid nineties, I think. It definitely sounds modern, but but then yes, at the same time, it's kind of like uh, we cover quite a lot of bands. I feel like we've covered quite a few bands recently on the show who have been um, uh, comparable to Botch. In fact, a review is about to come up where we, we yeah. cover. <laughs> oh God, time. Mm, uh, where mm. we cover a a botch like band and um um we've those bands don't feel retro um they're just taking from influences from a time 20 years yeah and and there's 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 plenty on this record i mean even to if you were to describe it i think pure as pure hip-hop i think as as we get into the review musically it's clear to me that um that they're a very ingenious and eclectic band for for any kind of music i mean before we started i said to you there's a track on here which you know far from being expansive and um experimental for for kind of mainstream hip-hop it, it would be experimental for for nine inch nails and i i think that's you know it's fair to say there's a, quite a lot going on and there's quite a lot to unpick musically here I don't mean to um, live up to my normal traits or be characteristic, but that last that song that you're talking about um, has elements of post rock in it. I would argue it does. Mm, yeah, <laughs> undoubtedly, it does. Well, it does. Mate, I was I was I was actually going to bring that the dreaded post rock up a little bit later, but um, oh, we can do but, it there when, but yeah, yeah, but, um, but yeah no, when we, totally. But just mm. in terms of yeah, how many how many influences this album's pulling from? Interestingly, as well, it takes you on a bit of a journey as well because I think if you just listen to the first three tracks then um, it wouldn't be remiss to be like, oh, it's sort of, you know, just a hip hop record. But as the album goes on, um, more of those outsider influences come in. So you sort of go on that journey with it as well, which I quite like. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, now, um, I think obviously as important as that is musically and as impressive as this record is musically and the amount of things that it does, I think most of you hopefully and if you haven't you you really should do will have seen killer mike's speech in the direct aftermath of what is happening i mean as we speak right now the george floyd protests in the united states the um it's the i'm mad as hell speech it's about eight minutes long and he speaks about um you know trying to encourage people not to destroy their own property he's clearly very very distressed but he's incredibly eloquent and intelligent and inspiring with it um it's one of the most incredible fully rounded well thought out speeches i can recall in modern times i was completely blown away by it um it strengthened our reasoning for recording this additional part of the show even more so and um fortified my attitude that we were doing the right thing doing this and it's one of the most inspiring things i've ever seen when i woke up this morning i didn't have a opinion um on killer mike at all i didn't have a positive opinion a negative opinion a complete i just didn't i just knew he was a rapper and he was in run the jewels mm. Uh, I now have the utmost respect. Uh, I have a new hero as of the last few hours. I think the man is amazing. And it's based on that eight minutes alone. It's incredible. Yeah. He's quite, quite brilliant. And that kind of <laughs> really regressive, quite pathetic um, stereotype of the modern rapper being a kind of material obsessed 
drug gang member i mean you know or pill popping idiot um that is something to show people to go no 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 it's one that i am occasionally guilty of making and i should pick myself up on it more um i'm occasionally uh, certainly when you say hip-hop to me i think that is the image that comes to my mind and it's exactly everything i hate about that genre (laughs) Um, yeah and um uh, seeing things like this reminds me that I need to check myself more with that because that's just one heavily commercialized version part of it. That's the five finger death punch side of that scene. Doesn't Absolutely. mean doesn't mean it's the best thing about it. It's probably one of the worst things about it in reality. So mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, it's hard when. I mean, I think we live in a in a world right now where for whatever reason the kind of the worst stuff does tend to be rising to the top you know i look at you know um takeshi 69 and you mentioned five bless five finger death punch but um I always go to bullet for my valentine i guess in metal or you know whatever kind of crap indie band happened the 1975 uh who happened to be the kind of the hot thing at the moment unfortunately it feels like quite bad music sells quite a lot of records at the moment maybe that's us being old i don't know but um let's run hope, the jewels let's hope this sells fuckloads then let's hope this bucks the trend because well i mean i think it should and i think i mean what is worth saying is this is they're giving this album away for free mm, yeah i mean i'm sure most people can stream it or download it um so stream on spotify or apple music or whatever but mm. they are giving the download of this record away completely for free in not, kind of support of the the black lives matter movement not as big a gesture as it would have been 10 years ago but still a really cool gesture undoubtedly mm. absolutely um so i think you know obviously that speech is a really really good place to start with run the jewels i'm assuming renfrey you haven't ever listened to run the jewels previous material at all nope I've listened to three a fair bit. Um, I've listened to two as well a couple of times. But they have actually always been a band where I go, I like, you know, um, I like this, but I'm not massively kind of emotionally invested in them. So when people kind of go, oh, yeah, run the jewels for download and stuff, I'm like, oh, yeah, that would be cool. But I'm not. Um, seems weird to say it now, but I was about to say, like, I feel like, I mean, on the strength of the this, of the album that we're about to talk about and the album we did before i was always a bit more like oh i'd, I'd like the ant word but i you know one of the jewels i just don't really listen to which seems now seems like a, a completely ludicrous thing to have said i mean look coming in as a total noob i mean i don't know how you would put based on the the antwood album i've heard and the run the jewels album i've heard i don't know how you would even put those two together conceivably in any way shape or form are they sort of considered from the same type of i think it was just just time and the fact that you know they're the sort of bands that get brought up when they go who should play download who would you like to see who are the kind of wild who are the kind of wild cards the pendulums the chasing statuses of those sort of bands and run the jewels were never one that i really went oh yeah it'd be great to get run the jewels although you know i think i was probably wrong about that i always thought you know i quite liked them i quite liked Mm. them but i was i've never been like I would never have considered myself a fan, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, so we should probably talk about this record then and actually where it kind of starts. You mentioned at the start that the opening to the record um, shows a bit of the hallmark of that 
that kind of um, the bravado of hip hop. I think it's worth saying that Yankee and the Brave, the opening song, is very definitely meant to be taken as being sung in their alter egos. Um, yes. Uh, sort of mindset. I mean, it is quite a. It's quite a. It's quite a kind of violent. Uh, it's got a lot of violent imagery towards yes. the police and towards sort of mankind in general. Talking about having one bullet and you'd rather shoot yourself than let the cops take you alive and all this kind of stuff. Um, my my but it's first a banger. my first listen to it with no context. I did a cold listen first, um, and then I did my research, and then I did my second listen. Uh, I was rolling my eyes because it is not Were my you? sort of thing at all. But then. <laughs> Uh, on the second listen it took a totally di- i i understood more i didn't know about the uh their characters did you say yeah 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 i like, yeah, i've like read alter up egos. a bit alter egos i've read up a bit about it and uh, now i understand it more um so yeah but yeah absolutely absolutely for what it's wanting to do it's it does everything it wants to do 100 percent. yeah it starts the album in a, i mean the last line on that song is yankee are the braver here everybody hit the deck we don't mean no harm but we truly mean all the disrespect yeah. so it's yeah, yeah, yeah. that kind of it's a big brash quite obnoxious opening mm. um song to the record i think you know it's got i used to really like dilated peoples back in the sort of late 90s early noughties and it's got that kind of and almost the the first like um decks and drums on by uncle off science fiction it's got that kind of big but like um big beat sound to it which i really really like mm-hmm. so i like that song mm-hmm. you know as a pure just you know this is here we are kind of dick swinging hip-hop i actually think it's it's good do you know what i mean mm-hmm. i mean it, it gets dwarfed i think this is one of those albums that definitely gets better mm-hmm. the further you get into it um and i think considering i liked the opening track mm. that should probably give you some indication as to how i feel about the album as we get further into it i'm gonna jump on this as well um i, I don't know if i can honestly hand on heart whilst i think it is a perfectly it, whilst, whilst I think it's really good at what it's doing, I don't know if I can hand on heart sit here and say that I love the, the opening song, but I think it is a perfect representation of what it's trying to do. Um, it may be one of the one of the worst songs on the record, and and it mm. does start at very like at a very high level of quality. Undoubtedly, it starts a very mm. lo- high level of quality. So yeah, it says a lot about this record. I think you can kind of break the record up into three parts in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I think it starts with it being kind of kind of fun bravado, big beat, classic hip hop, like nods to Wu Tang Clan, dilated peoples, um, de- definitely nods to like old dirty bastard. Yeah. Um, Ooh la la, you mentioned beforehand, has got a pretty silly hook. Like, you know, it, it's it's a fairly kind of obnoxious pop hook. Yeah. Um obnoxious which, obnoxious pop hook is perfect. Yeah. Yeah, which, you know, I'm I'm kind of okay with, but I know you're less okay with it. I I spoke to you briefly on the phone before we did this and I said it's it's a hook that I can't deny. Like it's clearly a good hook. Um, but it's the kind of hook that greats on me but i can't sit here and go it's a bad hook because it's not Mm. Mm. i mean it basically uh it kind of the first three songs i mean the third song on the record um which is which is called out of sight um 
that's basically one of those songs about a hip hop band going, I, we've been around for 20 years and we're still doing it and we're still great. Mm. That's kind of ultimately what that mm-hmm. song is about, really. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I was like, yeah, this is cool. You know, this is good. This is a good hip hop. You know, this is like a, a lot of the themes from what I expect. And yeah, like, you know, fair enough. Run the Jewels have been around for a long time and Run the Jewels have been doing, you know, the stuff what they've been doing for ages. And they are. You know, they are uh, at this point a big established band and <laughs> it is something that um, that these artists sort of do. They do just go, yeah, look, look, we fucking, we made it, we've done it. And I've got no real problem with that. I think that that particular song is, is good. It's got a kind of a few funny lines on it. There's a, a killer mic at one point, I think, says something about coming to his big house and <laughs> and, and the guys who were like, slagging him off at school were like changing like taking his bins out or something right and you're like oh that's quite a nice little diss that's sort of you know when pop punk artists and stuff do that we always go hooray the underdogs won but sometimes with hip-hop artists it feels a little bit more obnoxious than that so i always like to try and keep that in mind when i'm thinking of these things and i don't think for the main killer mike comes across like the sort of person who's like look at my money look at my dom perignon look at my limo so i'm sort of okay with him having one like snarky song about how well he's doing do you know what i mean the obnoxious levels which i am clearly more sensitive to than you are with this sort of thing because it's this it's actually a primary thing which i kind of generalize hip-hop with as an attitude that annoys me um it's certainly less irritating on that song than it is than i find it with other artists and stuff like that um Mm. i find i i find that whole attitude utterly reprehensible and stupid really because it's it's sort of it's just a greed thing and it's a status thing based on sort of symbolism and you know um getting things which actually probably probably uh hinder other people's uh lives just just to have status symbols so I, I find the whole thing just utterly and not not that it's just prevalent in hip hop, it's prevalent in all all sorts of uh areas. But that's mm. what I struggle with with it. So I don't think I'm ever like going to enjoy that side of things. But then again, it's difficult to sort of sit here and objectively go, Well, that isn't any good though. It's mm. clearly like done to a very high standard and I I you don't need to know an awful lot about hip hop just like I don't, to realise that, I think. Mm. Um, I think um, you can tell the difference. And and musically, it, it's quite... like ri- uh, There are a lot of very clever rhythmic shifts in this. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll be honest, I'm one of the people who... I'm, I, I listen to hip-hop for the vocals and the lyrical content for the most part. I mean, why I raved about Clipping last year and why Clipping was my number one album of last year was because... It feels like it often feels like a rarity to get a really, really diverse and interesting album musically. I think I said this would be a good album without the fucking amazing MC vocals over the top of it, and that's quite rare. Yeah, in hip hop, even some of the great hip hop acts and great hip hop artists that I love, I do sometimes go, well, I tell you what, if you took, if you took Be Real out of Cypress Hill not a lot left really mm. Mm. do you know what i mean um 
but there's enough kind of rhythmically that's different um, about this record. Again, particularly when we get into the second half, that I think it's um, it, it doesn't dominate that kind of attitude. It feels like everything is spread out well enough. You know, like sometimes if you just listen, like I, I think I've said this before, I had a mate who would just listen to music just for the drummer. If the yeah. drummer was good, he liked it. Mm-hmm. If the drummer wasn't very good, you know, like he doesn't like death metal, but he'd listen to Nile because he's like, oh my God, their drummer's amazing. I've had friends like I was that. Like, yeah. you, you, don't, you don't like death metal though, but I'm surely you don't like this. He's like, no, that's great because I like the drummer. So he just would listen to like drum tracks and nothing else. And I think um, I'm just not really cut from that. Like I, 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 pref- I prefer stuff much more when everything is working together in tandem. And I think yeah. that's how this, most this that's is. how most people listen to music. Yeah, I think that, I yeah. think it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I agree. I think um, the clipping comparisons. Uh, it, it's 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 interesting because they are there, but at the same time, it's approached in a totally different way. Um, I certainly think musically, this is far more interesting than what. I would then what I would have assumed it would sound like before listening to it, basically, just to play yeah. that snob card. Um, it's <laughs> more melodically interesting than anything going on on what I would normally associate with commercial hip hop records. Can we call this a commercial hip hop record? Well, think, they're commercially successful. Yeah. So, 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 and that's what I mean. I don't think it's quite enough to draw me in personally. I don't think the music itself is as intricate or melodically interesting as clipping clipping do take a far more i mean forgive me but post-rock take on it where things are Mm. a minimalism approach where things are gradually coming in um and uh subtly uh and this is far more kind of not stop start but like here's a 80s synth bit here's a dance beat here's this bit you know this is far more cut and paste i suppose yeah uh I'm not saying that one is better than the other. I think I just prefer the clipping approach to it. But they're both, uh, undoubtedly, there are some really fucking cool hooks and melodic intricacies and bits and pieces that are achieved on this record. Like the, mm. the, some really cool sounds. Really yeah, absolutely. Cool sounds. Absolutely. And I think, again, as we get later into the record, we'll probably talk about that more. I mean, that is sort of where the first third of the record, I think that kind of bravado hip hop dick swinging fun time thing changes very much into socio-political consciousness and anger i think it starts to get quite angry after that um there's a song on it called goonies versus et which um is about a lot of things but um if you've ever heard she watched channel ever yeah ever heard ever heard she watched channel zero by public enemy which is the song where they sampled angel of death by slayer um which is a great you know one of their sort of best songs um all about the kind of manipulation of television televised media um there's a touch of that in goonies versus et there's a line now i understand that woke folk be playing ain't no revolution is televised and digitized you've been hypnotized and twitterized by silly guys cues to the evening news make sure you're ill-advised got you celebrating the generators of genocide like that is scathing scabrous brilliant takedown of moderns in, in five lines that and it and it spat at you with increasing levels of fury and genuine anger as this record goes on um 
I think that was the first point in the record where I was like, this has gone from being a really good hip hop album to being something which feels really pertinent and quite essential in, you know, in, in, in this world right now. Mm. It definitely, it feels like that it starts, it's interesting how prescient Killer Mike's um, speech is because he, talked about how he started out being angry the day before he made the speech he was just angry and he mm. was telling citizens of atlanta to basically stop destroying their homes i mean it fucking it upsets me greatly that someone like killer mike needs to come on to the news to tell people to stop destroying their own homes but then i suppose that's what happens when people get so angry they don't have anything else to turn on apart from their own things and they become self-destructive i guess it's a it's an attitude i find it difficult to understand but then i've never been oppressed in the same way um so why would i understand it um well yeah um i think and i think the reason why it's prescient with the speech is because he talked about yes how he was super angry the day beforehand but once he'd kind of lived with it for a day and the anger has subsided somewhat it was just more upset and more kind of thinking through what do we need to do to actually make change and it feels like that's what this record does it feels mm. like just prior to the record feels like a crass analogy i don't know but like just prior to the record something horrific has happened and it's like the beginning is almost like the anger of that thing happening and then figure being no less kind of it's still severe and it's always it always still feels like an attack but the attack is kind of honed um and um sharpened um it, it, it's refined as the yeah. album goes on and that's a really cool in that sense <laughs> i'm gonna do it again it is post rocky in that sense of a subtle journey happening mm. over a long 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 period of music mm -hmm. um you know i'm not gonna say that killer mike sat down and listened to rock action by mogwai and went that's what we're gonna do for our record but you know there are com there are comparisons there, um, and I just think that uh, I suppose the reason why I am drawn to that kind of music is because it just feels like there is so much, so much more to delve in on. Even after a couple of listens, you can hear that there's going to be things that you would discover and uh, learn about this record probably months down the line. I'm guessing. I tell you what it is, and we've sort of jumped ahead a little bit because I was going to talk about the third part in the third part, but that's okay. fine. Um, it feels to me that the more intelligent and the more learned and the more thoughtful and the more um, considered this record gets, the sadder it gets and the more beaten it gets and the more sort of downtrodden and resentful mm. it gets and because I mean, nothing I think changes I, because nothing changes and um 
I mean, there's a few things, you know, uh, to jump. I don't really want to jump into the third part of it too much, but there is, there's a song on it towards the end called Pulling the Pin, and it's got Josh Homme from Queens of Stone Age on it. And it's got this big old dream pop thing, and there's this kind of Black Queen-esque electro part in the verses. Um, but it has it has real heartache in that it's the sort of, I think it's the second, is it the second to last song on the record? Yes. It's the second uh, to last proper song on yes, the record. Yes. Um, and you don't often associate hip hop with like genuine emotional turmoil. And I think, you know, um, as much as we love Josh and Josh does a great bit of backing vocals and he, he makes some kind of doomy, you know, uh, like clockwork s soundscapes he's, he's in it doing as well. that uh thing that he yeah, does he's done he it for does. mastodon yeah that thing he does yeah and and we all love josh but it's the performance of mavis staples that gives this song this kind of bluesy heartbreaking quality she sings i've got a grenade in my heart she's a gospel singer for those who don't know um, mavis staples she's she's a gospel singer and she's a political activist um she's born in 1939 so she's bringing all this stuff to the song with her she's seen rosa parks and marquette fry and rodney king and leticia harlins and amadou diallo and she probably thinks about when she thinks of the uk and she thinks of us she thinks about stephen lawrence and john charles de menez and she'll have seen george floyd now and she'll have seen all these other people that i sort of shamefully either have haven't mentioned or even worse i'm i'm not even aware of and you can hear all of that in her performance it's it's genuinely a heartbreaking, difficult, heart-wrenching, sad song to listen to. There's a line that says, perhaps explaining years of self-lobotomy toxically, perhaps explaining tears and even years in my cosmology, you numb yourself for years and it can wear upon you honestly. The burden of being a member of that community is what that song is about the burden of not seeing progress of not feeling change of having to never ever ever be allowed to forget what you are or what this societally you feel like this sort of second third class citizen in the eyes of the world in the in the sort of hierarchical society, the capitalist construct that we have in this society that you cannot wash yourself clean from. Music is fucking powerful, man. And I felt that in that song. I mean, particularly this week where we've all been looking at that stuff. And like, I really, at that point in the album, I, I really began to feel to feel that you know it's i think that song is it's incredible uh, mavis staples verse vocals on it are, are incredible it's when you get a song like that in hip-hop and like we say the the stereotypical characterization of what hip-hop is does not apply to music like pulling the pin i don't think mm. It's way, way beyond that. Um, I totally agree. I think um, 
it is well documented my just not getting hip-hop at all and but it's really exciting and comforting to feel like that a record is going to come out like this sometimes people you know are cynical about can music change things and can music change the world well if a song can make you feel like that then i would argue that possibly it could um if a song by an artist who is very commercially successful can do that to millions of people then i would argue even more strongly that it could and i think even when even when hideously i mean in my terms certainly feeling hideously out of my depth i think that's why it's just absolutely vital to cover these records and point it out as a matter of course and just say look this like if if you want to if you want ammunition as to why art is important and art needs to be saved and art shouldn't suffer from financial cuts and so on and so forth um this is it isn't it it's mm. stuff like this because it's music like this that can change these attitudes and i think the problems that we have those problems aren't going to be solved by people of color alone unfortunately because it's white people who are kind of causing them so um it isn't just people of color who need to hear this stuff it's actually more important that it's white people who hear this stuff because yeah. otherwise you just go through life i so i feel so much more knowledgeable about all this stuff sometimes we you know sometimes we moan and we complain about so-called woke culture and so on and so forth and we both have our hang-ups about it but something that i am massively grateful for about it is actually having more knowledge and more understanding of issues that probably five more like 10 years ago i would say probably i probably would have just gone well that doesn't affect me so i'm not interested yeah which probably makes me sound like a bit of a selfish prick in this um um climate but that i think that is just kind of like how a lot of people are until they mature a bit more and realize that actually if it's a problem as global as that if it's a worldwide wide problem on that scale then it is everyone's problem and it is something that shouldn't be ignored just because it doesn't affect me personally mm. um and yeah this is a stunning kind of example of why those kind of pieces of art are important absolutely and i i think you know we you will have already heard us i can't quite remember what we said because it's like it was you know over a day ago that we had the conversation regarding the um the, the tuesday media blackout um if i've ed if i've edited this thing. correctly it would have been just before this review <laughs> right okay, who knows cool. who knows <laughs> yeah and we question that because we question the kind of l the legitimacy and i you know i i do kind of genuinely go what does social media actually do i don't really know but that's not to say that is interesting you, know, you I, said that yesterday isn't it because 
that feels like now that recording it a day later even though you guys have only heard it 40 minutes ago that seems like a bit after hearing a record like that this this that sounds like a bit more of a silly thing to say do you agree with that or do you not it does but again i mean you know i think this record stands um stands apart because this record is this record you know and i still um i looked at some things yesterday and i think that there are conflicting opinions that people had about certain things that they should have done or they shouldn't have done like posting a black like i'm not one for getting on to social media sort of hashtags and trends and stuff because i do genuinely believe that you are judged by what you do in the real world you know like mm. what you do in the real i mean i say what you do in the real world and i was about to say like this podcast i mean this podcast obviously is going out on the internet and but it but you know we are um in, we're including this album because i think it's important for us to for people to you know be aware that we are going to try and do as much as we can to discuss these things and consider these things and etc etc you know that being said if you are just posting a black screen on your instagram and then going tip, 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 I, that's what i've done and that is all you have done i'm not necessary and say so if you do that and i don't but i listen to this record and i take something away from it and i go do you know what? i'm actually going to go and watch documentaries and start reading books and i'm going to like try and do whatever i can to really really take a long hard look at myself and really consider what it is like for other people and really talk to other people about you know that like to listen to this record like, i feel like i've taken so much from this record and we haven't even got to the the main part i mean that you know we'll talk about the last song in a bit i think we've got even close to you know but i feel like i've taken so much from this record and that you know this is that to me is a you know a, the 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 real power of music, the real power of art, and the real, real power of the music industry. I don't know that. It's certainly. I just just to interject quickly, just to um, back up everything you're saying. I think I can sum that up by saying, art is more powerful than a hashtag. I suppose that's what we were yeah. getting at when we discussed when, that yesterday. Uh, yeah, yesterday, you it's know. just you know, when you see Morrissey and Luis Suarez and John Terry go and hashtag black lives matter you go someone's just told you to do that yeah have you you wonder have you reached that point yourself or have you felt so societal pressures to conform to doing that and are you just going to go cool i've done that it's an empty gesture yeah and that's what i i wonder about and and i'm i'm not saying either is right or wrong i'm simply questioning and like i said and i do remember saying this yesterday if you don't question anything it's just faith it's just dogma everything you need you know you need to have reasons for doing it but i mean again yeah to come back to the review um yeah i i i think this is you're right it's perfect what you said art is far more effective and moving than than a hashtag can be to me anyway to go back into that sort of mid period of the record where uh you know i think it's still quite angry i mean i i quoted walking in the snow um at the start of the review i'm going to read the full because i think it deserves to be for you to hear it um i'm going to read the full 
first of it it says they promise education but really they give you tests and scores and they're predicting prison population by who's scoring the lowest and usually the lowest scores the poorest and they look like me and every day on even news they feed you fear for free and you so numb you watch the cops choke out a man like me until my voice goes from a shriek to a whisper i can't breathe and when all the music cuts out and he whispers i can't breathe when i heard that today how fucking powerful is that mm-hmm. like how spine like that chilled my blood hearing that anyway um it's, it, and it's well it's it's a very it's it's very very serendipitous in a sense um as i sort of hinted at earlier this is going to be one of the most important records of the year because of the week it was released and um it'd be a bit of a prick move but you could cynically go oh well that doesn't mean it's good it's just good timing i mean i think that would be a dick thing to say at a time like this anyway but um i was just going to remind people of a more sort of metal orientated um background toxicity by system of a down came out september 4th uh 20 2001 and um once the you know 9-11 happened um i think that record well it went to number one the week um September 11th didn't it it kind of took on more prescience prescience because whilst they weren't referring to what had happened directly everything they were saying was around what led to those events and that's exactly the same with this record and as a result it will take on that prescience and you know sometimes it is just being right time right place and that's just how these things happen you can't maneuver them it's just you know Mm. how but that is it is a moment in time that is what this is one of those records absolutely it will happen and i think where that first goes afterwards because we put it at the start because I thought what a powerful thing to have pointed out it was and it sort of shows why we wanted to cover it. So he says, and you, um, until my voice goes from shriek to whisper, I can't breathe. And then the next part of the verse says, and you sit there in your house on couch and watch it on TV. The most you gives a Twitter rant and call it tragedy, but truly the travesty you've been robbed of your empathy, replace it with apathy. I wish I could magically fast forward to the future so then you can face it and see how fucked up it will be. Which says to me that this has been going on as we all probably, you know, as we all really were aware of. It's not some magic trick that Run the Jewels have quoted this, that Killer Mike has thought this in his head. He hasn't preempted what happened to George Floyd. He's seen it happen all the time. He's aware of it happening all the time. And he knows what's going to happen next. And the thing that's chilling about that is as much as the I can't breathe thing makes you go, oh my fucking God. What he then says is going to happen. You'll fast forward it in 30 years and it'll be the same. I watched a documentary. Again, I've mentioned the 1992 documentary about the LA riots and how they juxtaposed the LA riots of 1992 with the LA riots of 1965 and how it was sort of the same thing. And a documentary came on last night about race relations in the nineties, which, you know, focused on OJ Simpson and like I say, Rodney King and Amadou Diallo and a lot of other things as well. Um, But it was incredible to see 
people in 1992 on the streets in LA writing and you going, well, that looks just like what's going on right now. And there were people being interviewed going, it's 30 years and nothing's changed. Mm. And it's nearly 30 years later again. Mm. And the same thing is happening. Mm. Um, and it's quite, it's quite a frightening it's quite a frightening thing to to see it mapped out for you in this way like run the jewels do it's a sobering it's brilliant but it's it's a you know it's incredible but it's sobering it's a very very sobering record for somebody like you know i'm sitting here in hampshire <laughs> this is that you know that everybody on my street in my road in my whole village that when i live in here is white right mm. this is where i grew up mm. um so how often was I ever going to think about this stuff? Not much. Um, I grew up in a small town um, with 1,500 students at my um, secondary school and two of them were black, just to give the same yeah. context. So Yeah, yeah, exactly. I had two. I had one black boy and one black girl in my year yep. and they were mixed race, mixed race, both of them. And that was it. And then I moved out of it when I was 23. That's my first time I ever went into the world to actually mix with people who didn't look exactly the same as me. Mm. When were we ever going to properly think about this stuff? Mm. Um, and, I've, you know, it, it, part of you feels a bit ashamed of that. Part of you feels a bit stupid, you know, and part of you goes, well, oh, God, what, you know, what, how have I, <laughs> how has this happened? But I guess, you know, just this record, it, it spells out a lot of stuff um that maybe needed that maybe needed spelling out for us i don't know i just know that i listened to that and i was like fucking hell like it's it's rough it's yeah. great but it's rough i mean and then um moving on just uh which is j dollar sign st uh look at all these slave masters posted posing on your dollar zach de rocha and pharrell williams coming mm. in mm. um Again, lyrically, the X on the map where the pain keep hitting, just as ducks here sitting, where murderous choke hold cops still earn a living. Pharrell Williams as Zach De La Rocha is kind of like opposite ends of the spectrum of quality, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Although, you know, Pharrell does a good job on here, but how great is it to hear Zach? Uh, my heart skipped a beat when Zach first oh. came in. Initially, I was like... I felt, I'm not going to lie, I felt a little bit cheated initially. Obviously, Zach De La Roca and uh, uh, Joshua Homme being on this record were things that appealed to me as rock fan slash metal fan. And um, I think uh, at first it sounded like Zach was just going to say one line in the chorus and then that was going to be it. And I was like, you are fucking kidding me. But he comes in with this um, amazing The last verse. Up. The last yeah. verse is fucking yeah he's it, it's awesome to hear someone who sounds as polit has as charged and frenetic mm. as they did almost 30 years ago now uh, you know yeah. two more years and it'll be 30 years since rage's first record uh he actually sounds more maybe it's because of surrounding events and everything that's happening but he actually sounds more pissed off on this than anything i can recall in this career it sounds uh, it yeah listening to it today it's it's very very powerful yeah it's, cool. uh, it's just so good to hear zach 
it's so good when he comes in i was just like oh yes yeah that's yeah. the fucking guy what a fucking guy it, li- it um, literally i felt chemicals flooding into my brain when zandala yeah. rocker came here because i was like oh my god it's so nice to have you back <laughs> mm. um it's so I, great. I mean i don't want to shit on it i think pharrell williams is a complete waste of time on that song but you know sorry <laughs> i thought he was all right actually um definitely much more an nerd pharrell than a happy pharrell to be fair um and then it goes into the kind of like i said the fourth part so never look back is a bit more dreamy and electronic feels a bit more mm-hmm. kind of modern i quite mm-hmm. like that ground below's actually got a bit of a rage against the machine-esque riff to it as well yeah, hasn't it? yeah yeah um, a bit of guitar i was like oh yeah bit of guitar then we talked about pulling the pin but i think i want to talk about well, let's just move on really because we've been talking about this album for quite a while now um the last track is called a few words from the firing squad it's got a big sample from in excess never tear us apart i haven't actually read that anywhere i can just hear it it definitely is um it's got strings and sax it's kind of like tonight tonight being crossed with the fun house by stooges mm. remixed by nine inch nails musically and when you say post rock um apps are fucking lootly like it's got all kinds of stuff it's got that kind of black jazz uh feel to it that kind of um black star david bowie black star jazzy kind of sax mixed with post rock mixed with sort of big shoegazy guitar washes all over it it's musically it's fucking great right it's unbelievable yeah yeah it's, it's just just an unbelievable piece of work absolutely absolutely brilliant but this for me is i've listened to this song five times now and it has reduced me to tears every single time i think it is one of the most powerful songs i've ever heard it's basically a song um about the weight the real weight on a human being's life when they're somebody who is an activist who's trying to change things about them trying to lead a fulfilling life it's about the family that you've lost and the impact that that's had had on you it's about the demands um that live in a life that someone like killer mike leads um there's a lyric late earlier on in one of the songs where uh, killer mike says this will be the line that will get me assassinated so he feels like he's very aware that you know yeah even though it's like oh it's just music he's doing something which is quite dangerous for him um i like that there's a line breaking that was Mm. yeah i like that yeah that's cool but there's a line in it that says uh, in this song it says friends tell her he could be another malcolm he could be another martin she told her partner i need a husband more than i need another martyr and that's real do you know what i mean that's a real thing that's not the bravado that we were talking about at the start it's not that that is really real i think it's in it's a beautiful um unbelievable way to end the song especially when you're a fucking you know a politically charged hip-hop band for you to go into an area like that where you start talking about those things i think it's really fucking brave i mean musically it's incredible but some of the the lines on it are are fucking are really really poetic and really heartbreaking and you know hearing him talk about his mother dying as a drug addict and i think elp talks about his sister passing away and how it was hard for them to keep their mental health and their mental strength and for them to do the things they do you don't hear many I mean, he's starting to more now like again like to mention dave like the dave that dave album is very personal and very um you know uh 
very moving. And I think, you know, we spoke about 808s and Heartbreaks by Kanye West, which even though musically you didn't like it much and some of it was, you know, not, not as good as it was made out to be, I think at least try to attempt to make those kind of connections, which hip hop maybe isn't necessarily known for. Um, but this does it better than any song I've heard from this genre personally, mm. I think. I'm hardly <clears throat> ever affected emotionally by hip hop because of my, um, I suppose, my boundaries towards getting into it in the first place. Um, so for, I mean, I'm trying to think. I mean, I guess there there is stuff on the clipping record which probably had an emotional effect on me, but I can't think of a, this is by far the, it's not, it's not even a hip hop song though, is it? I mean, by, by a hip hop, act i guess the most yeah. emotionally charged song i've ever heard i just i just thought it was absolutely i mean i can't i can't sum it up any better better than you can but i just i, I think it's an absolutely incredible sterling piece of work and i think i suppose this whole review is just kind of uh showing that two people who needed to start paying more attention to this sort of stuff this has mm. been the catalyst for that happening i mean mm. not that we didn't have any knowledge of this kind of thing in the first place but if i suppose if this record can have that effect on more people that's only going to be a good thing mm. um, i mean to, to give you i think the perfect encapsulation of the journey of this record to go back to um yankee and the brave part for episode four which ends the crooked the crook cop the crooked copper got the dropper i put lead in his eye plus we heard it he heard he murdered a black child so none of us cried yankee and the brave are here everybody hit the deck we don't need we don't mean no harm but we truly mean all the disrespect which is that kind of bravado -y thing that we were talking yeah. about before. To go to there, to the very, very last verse on this entire record is Black Child in America, the fact I made it was magic. Black and beautiful, the world broke my mama heart and she died an addict. God blessed me to redeem her in my thought, words and actions. Satisfaction for the devil, good damn it, he'll never have it. This is for the do-gooders and the no-gooders used and then abused. For the truth tellers tied to the whipping post, left beaten, battered, bruised. For the ones whose body hang on trees like pieces of strange fruit, go hard last words to the firing squad was, fuck you too. To get from there to there. Mm. Just lyrically. Sounds like, a different, you... sounds like a different band. Different yeah. acts, totally. It's incredible. It's um, it's some journey. But kind of some journey, the, this. The genius of it is it there's no sort of sudden shifts um lyrically or thematically it feels very uh it just feels very it feels like it it's so subtly shifting that you don't even notice it at first i didn't really notice it i noticed yeah i kind of noticed it on the first listen but it didn't really hit home until the second you know um it's very it's an incredibly impressive journey and it's an incredibly impressive album yeah it's um it's definitely the album that the world needed at the moment i think and 
you often get an album which feels very uh pertinent of the time and very important for the context surrounding it um this is a great record regarding of the context surrounding it but the context surrounding it is so uh overwhelming at the moment it's so kind of um enveloping and overwhelming of the world in general and for it to preempt predict and exist it, three different things all at the same time in the way it does took to give this emotional journey in the way that it does um is quite incredible there's a line to, to quote i know i've quoted a lot of lyrics but i think it's important that we do there's a line in pull the pin where um killer mike says fuck the political this message is spiritual and i think it's quite important to remember that as well you know this is not an album of i don't know antifa woke leftist sloganeering this is a real delve into the heart and mind of an incredibly intelligent um and damaged person and it cuts great through art. it cuts through the noise and gets directly mm. to the heart of the matter yeah absolutely it's brilliant i think come the end of the year i'm not sure if you'll go back to this renfrey as it's not really your sort of thing For i me, don't it's i don't know something i will go back to a lot and i think at this stage i don't know if it will be something i go back to or not but it would just be i wouldn't be doing my job at all well if i came in and was like oh this record's no good it would be a completely i can't wait to hear robert christgau's opinion on it um, yeah. it would it would be a completely i would i would objectively be bad at my job if i came in and said there's nothing good on this record like it's just be like it's not my thing at all and i'm not even going to pretend it is i think it would be more insulting to pretend that it is especially in a week like this than yeah. any other week frankly but um it's an amazing piece of art and I can, I will always, always, always have a massive amount of respect for that. I guess we'll have to wait mm. six months or so to see if I return to it. We I'm, will, def yeah. I'm definitely going to go back to it a bit more, whether whether it stays with me. Uh, I, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. So there you go. We wanted to chuck that in. I um, hope it's worth chucking it in. That is Run the Jewels 4 by Run the Jewels. Uh, I would suggest that every single person listening to this goes away and listens to this record in its entirety. Don't just listen to a couple of tracks. Listen to it from start to finish and um, really try and take it in as much as you possibly can. Anyway, shall we invite uh, that. Mac, Matt back let's in get Matt and back start in, yeah. talking about something far less serious? Probably. <laughs> yeah, let's. What are we talking go. about now? 156 Silence. It's 156 Silence. 156 Silence is the first album we're going to review this week. The album is called Irrational Pool. It is the second album from yet another Pittsburgh-based hardcore band, the follow-up to their debut album, Undercover Scumbag, which came out in 2018. Um, AKA Stephen Hill. <laughs> thank you. No, I'm a very much outed scumbag, actually. Uh, <laughs> outed scumbag Stephen Hill. What a great Hill. album title, though. What a great Undercover episode scumbag, title. Yeah. Well, yeah, we, if we want to nick it, we can nick it. Um, now, there's the 
this has sort of been bumped to our lead review this week, this record, uh, even though it's basically a self-released hardcore album. And one of the reasons we've done that is that if you pick up the latest copy of Metal Hammer magazine, it is quite incredibly, for a self-released album, the lead review. Now, when you look at How Metal do you Hammer, know that, Steve? <laughs> well, I might have had a little something to do with that, to be fair. Um, you wrote it, didn't you? <laughs> I did write it, yes. Uh, but... It's practically unheard of. Yes, when it is. When you look at the, us- the usual bands, Lamb of God or Slipknot or Korn or Iron Maiden or Within Temptation or whatever massive metal band have an album out that month, that is usually the lead review. In fact, I would go as far as to say it's probably the smallest band who've been lead review. I think Kirk Weinstein from Crowbar's yeah. album yeah. one month was. But then that's still Kirk from Crowbar and Down and blah, blah, blah. That, like he's a pretty big dude. I'm pretty sure that was in January as well when there was nothing yeah. going on, you know. Mm. So, yeah. But Hammer decided to give this self-released hardcore band, 156 Silence, the lead review kind of apropos of nothing. So I guess... Well, it's not apropos hot- of nothing, is it? Sorry to piss on no, this, no. Rick. Yeah. Is it because no big bands are bringing out records because they can't go on tour to promote them? Is that part of it? I think that's got something to do with it. But if you're saying, are there no bigger bands than 156 Silence who have had an album out in the last month? Then no, that's that's definitely not the reason. They're not the biggest band of the last month for sure. Um, Renfrey, you sort of went, sorry to piss on that rhetoric. What do you think the reason for this is well un- undoubtedly um there's no way 156 silence would have got main review if it hadn't have been for lots of records being postponed i think yeah um and there have been plenty of um metal records postponed or or, or records that metal hammer would have covered um mm. it's happening more with the mainstream releases of course because i think a lot of younger or or smaller bands are just sort of getting on with it and pretending that no, no, well, they don't have as big a sort of touring circuit that's going to be affected by it. So mm. they can just release now and then tour in six months' time, even though it's not ideal. Um, I, 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 I'm not uh, pissing on this record because, um, you know, well, I, I like it. Um, but, I, but I don't think it would get lead review if it weren't for the circumstances in the world right now. No, no. I mean, almost certainly not. But at the same time, it does mean that 156 Silence have suddenly been catapulted from nowhere into a lot of people's peripheral vision. And a really cool move, isn't it? Because young bands and up and coming bands more than anyone right now could use that boost. Mm-hmm. And and so good for Metal Hammer for you know giving them that springboard to get them in front of more people. It's, yeah, it's encouraging. I, I it's think good so. To see. It's encouraging. It is definitely good to see. Um, Now, I mean, I mentioned Pittsburgh Hardcore. Obviously, that is a big thing at the moment. We may have mentioned Code Orange once or twice twice. on this show over the last few months. Um, 156 Silence are not quite up to the level of Code Orange at the moment. Um, But then who is? But but for me, I'm very happy to hear another young band very much like Vane or uh, Gift from God or See You Space Cowboy, all bands that we've covered in the last six months, eight months or so, um, that are borrowing very heavily from, rather than the kind of the metal core that I think all three of us probably pull a, like a, oh God, face at, what metal core became, that super warp Tory, electro-polished, 
melodic chorus metalcore they're not really pulling from that they're pulling from what i think is the classic era of metallic hardcore converge botch poison the well drowning man hope conspiracy all that stuff that original blueprint for that material uh cave in early cave in that's another band who i think are definitely pulling from from that well as as inspiration and for me that can only be a good thing absolutely um one band you didn't mention and i noticed you didn't mention it in the review either which was a bit of a surprise but um coalesce i think i think there's quite a lot of um uh, uh i did mention coalesce in in the well in the metal hammer review it says for fans of coalesce is the first thing oh right. actually, actually. Right, not in the copy um yeah but um yeah absolutely i don't think there's anything i don't think this band sound interested in latter-day metalcore at all do they which mm. for nope. my money is a good thing um but yeah lo- lots of botch lots of coalesce uh yeah absolutely lots of code orange i suppose i mean they're clearly they're clearly paying attention to what's happening with this scene at the moment mm. um i don't mean that in a disparaging way i think they do do it they they have a sort of they'll put ambient textures into their songs um which are around all these really heavy like brutal riffs really brutal mm. simple uh skull crackers um but like the vocals and the drums and everything around all that ambience is still be really hardcore and really in your face and really screamy and guttural um mm. which is a really interesting way to approach that i think um i don't know how long they can continue with that um way of doing things i wouldn't want to see it on like their fourth record or anything like that but for this one i'm I'm more than happy with it um uh yeah this is another one of those bands to add to the the jesus pieces and the and the knock looses and the um uh calisteo boys maybe i know you don't yep. like them as much but you know they're in that scene sea so space cowboy etc mm. etc et that you already mentioned um i like it it's good I like this. This doesn't strike me as something that you would like, though, Matt. Or am I wrong in that? It's not exactly up my street. No, I don't really have the reference points for music like this either. So I was listening to it, and you know, just for me, it's a lot of breakdowns. <laughs> I mean, there are a lot of breakdowns, so that's fair. There are a lot of breakdowns. Yeah, yeah. I would say if there is, if I, I do have one criticism of this uh, this record, which I think is very good, is that they fall back on breakdowns and beatdowns a, a little a little bit too much for me um i would like to see those breakdowns replaced with i mean you know again i hate to be a, like sound like a stuck record but code orange had a lot of breakdowns and a lot of beatdowns before code orange have swapped out a lot of those breakdowns and replaced them with other things that no yeah. one else is really doing or have, have done before and you got. I mean, you've got to bear in mind, this is 156 Silence's second album. They're all like 22. Mm. I spoke to the guitarist um, for Hammer a couple of weeks ago and he's like, a, he's he's a child. But do you know what I mean? He's a great, he's fucking like, well, especially compared to me. Uh, <laughs> but he is, he is young. He is really, they're really young. So I think they weren't around when all of the bands that they're inspired by yeah. were around. I mean, most of those bands are probably split up by the time they started school you know primary school um so they they're having to dig right back into in the same way as you or i or all us three would have you know dug back into the clash 
when we were kids, we were suddenly yeah. gone, oh, I've heard that these bands, and that's what they're doing. Um, they just need to find a way to um, to find their own little niche from it because I agree, there are a lot of breakdowns on this record, yeah. a lot. And some of them are good and some of them are just like, oh, it's a breakdown. Do you know what I mean? I don't think they've quite yet found their own distinct individual voice, shall we say. But I don't mm. think they're miles away from it either. And for a second full-length album, that's quite encouraging. Some people, some bands get it like immediately, but most don't. Most take a couple of records to find that voice. Um, so that mm. doesn't really concern me. I think the album gets really good towards its end. I really like yeah. the dynamics shown on the title track. Um, and for them to release that as a first single, I just think is an astonishingly wicked move. Um, yeah. I'd really like to see them experiment more with that sort of thing on future records personally um but yeah i think this is really promising um how's the first record in comparison to this uh not as good at all i i think this is a, a pretty big step up oh, really? they've changed there's a lot of there's been a lot of member changes in between right. those two records and that first record production wise it's not as good um it's pretty amazing they're onto their second record and it does sound as accomplished as it is at that age they're obviously they're yeah. obviously driven and you know they're on a quest to succeed so maybe number three mm. will be the one yeah well i think you know they're they're from pittsburgh and pittsburgh obviously is the hot spot for this type of music on planet earth at the moment it just you know it is everybody's looking at it everybody's expecting people to come from it and I mean, we've said, you know, it's the first time in a while that there's been, we, we talk about kind of um, regional scenes and regional areas. And we've sort of said how there's not been a Seattle for a while. There's not been a kind of Seattle movement. There's not been a New York movement. There's not been a, you know, when you think of those regional scenes, we, we haven't really had one for a long time, you know. Um, and I feel like Pittsburgh for hardcore is becoming, or has become really a sort of, a regional scene where people can look at and go what's going on right there right now is really exciting and if you're a 22 year old kid with a guitar and you're living in pittsburgh and your local shows are like you know yeah. vein and code orange yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean what more inspiration could you need to go out and actually i mean i know actually i mean i, I actually i text uh jamie from code orange about these and he was like yeah yeah they're like kids and they rehearse beneath us and they seem like really cool young respectful kids and i mean for those like 22 year olds self-releasing an album to be rehearsing in the same room or like you know the same building is probably the most exciting band in heavy music not even pro the most exciting band in heavy music at the moment there's got to be a real kind of kick up the jacksy to to do something fucking cool so yeah i'm i i think this is a good album yeah i like it a lot i think it's i think it's cool i think it's really promising um really promising second record uh it's more than enough to get me on board um sort of like more contemporarily sort of reminds me of cult leader a little bit i, I think yeah. i prefer cult leader but this is still very good maybe a bit of norma jean uh a mm -hmm. little bit of the chariot i suppose definitely um, a bit of the chariot yeah calculating infinity era dillinger as well like i mean yeah. particularly lost visual starts the title starts a bit like the title track um they've got kind of grind in there as well which some of those bands don't have like mm -hmm. upset unfed is really kind of scathingly fast at the start and then and then it goes like it's when it 
it heads down the kind of beat down rabbit hole where I go, ah, man, if you'd have just maybe gone in a different direction, yeah. you could have been looking at something really fucking wicked. But, you know, Rude. the Kirk Baloo guitar tone of, you know, that opening riff in Taste of Ashes is just mm. so Converge. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that is never going to, I'm never going to slag that <laughs> shit off. I mean, I know it's gonna, it's difficult for me to be really kind of partisan um, or to not be sort of totally partisan on, on stuff like this. Whereas Matt, for you, I imagine listening to it, you're just a bit like, well, I, I don't really listen to this sort of stuff. Do you know what I mean? That's exactly my what my initial thoughts were. And it's interesting because the record that we'll get to later, The Weapon, it's not a million miles away, but it's just for me so much more palatable because of the bands I've grown up on and love. Yeah. And, and hardcore is definitely a style of music that I can enjoy. But then when it goes to a certain end of that spectrum, perhaps the more metalcore, as you say, end, uh, whether that's old school or, or whatever, then, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just it's not really a style that speaks to me. So I, I can't are... say either way whether I think it's good because I don't really understand that world and its, yeah. its, <laughs> its intricacies. These two records are like the polar opposite of that sort of hardcore spectrum, though, aren't they? They're yeah. like standing at the total opposite ends of that kind of line, hardcore line. You're looking at me slightly yeah. puzzled, Steve. Yeah, well, I was going to say, I, I do agree with you, but I think what's cool about this is to get an album like The Weapon, which we will talk about in a little bit, so I'm not going to say too much about it now, and to get an album like this, and for both of them to be, you know, sonically very, very different from each other in terms of what they're actually playing and how they approach hardcore. And people say, oh, hardcore, it all just sounds the same, it's one-dimensional. It certainly well, does These albums don't sound anything like each other, but what they do have in common is the level of the kind of scathing level of intensity. That is the key of make, to making a great hardcore record. Yeah, ultimately, fair. because there's nothing particularly new about Irrational Pool by One Five Six Silence. Nope. It's not a unique record, and we'll talk about the weapon again. Ditto. There's nothing particularly new about that. But I think in both cases, when you pull from, you know, whether you're pulling from. Dillinger and Colesque and Breach and, you know, um, Drowning Man, like 156 Silence are, or whether you're pulling from Agnostic Front and Minor Threat and Black Flag and Cro-Mags, like The Weapon are, if you do it with enough sort of energy and power and passion and sort of commitment, fucking great. Mm, yeah. Just fucking great. <laughs> Absolutely. That's a bit, of a, it's a bit of a spoiler for the album that we're going to be really, we're talking about in a little bit. Um, so uh yeah i i think this is really good personally yes yeah, same i think this is really good and i'm delighted that uh, hopefully a lot of people will listen to it um yeah i like f- i like this a lot i think it's a really really strong sophomore record i think it's very mm. very good and if you like this sort of thing you should absolutely check it out didn't feel like metal was really that keen on hardcore for a while but I feel like now metal and the metal press and metal fans and metal festivals are starting to go, that type of music's actually pretty good. And it feels like it's kind of starting to get, I wouldn't even say a renaissance because I don't even think it, you can't really have a renaissance if you were never the big thing in the first place. Well, but no. it feels like all of the most exciting stuff in metal is for more of a punk bent, pretty really. Much. Do you think, because that's the area of metal that is still the most angry and seething? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think there's. Mm, I, th- I think the good, the others like the 
I mean, we speak about bands like Death Heaven and like the last Opeth album, and actually there are very, very good kind of ethereal metal records being made. And I think, yeah, I, I, I don't think metal at its most kind of scabrous and scathing can be as heavy yeah. and still interesting as hardcore. Yeah. There's something about hardcore which... But it's just pure rage, isn't it? Yeah, it doesn't date in the way that like thrash metal dates, yeah. you know? Is that fair, Renfrey? <clears throat> he's gonna he's gonna choke <laughs> he's gonna I just, choke i had a i had a um <laughs> i had a mouthful of coffee <laughs> i had a, and if if i'd if i'd answered you straight away i would have spat coffee all over my microphone and my laptop but yes 100 percent. Okay, can i just say right, well, recording go. these via um whatever this app is just facetime is so much better than zoom it's so much better. You can better, say it. Yeah, yeah just, just, just as that. a little observation. It's a million times. There's no weird delays. Just, yeah, you boys have got it right. You're doing it right. We're not, we're not sponsored by FaceTime. There you go. Uh, but <laughs> if you are interested in sponsoring us, FaceTime, then please give us a shout. Uh, yeah, no. We... Oh, yeah. And we'll tell you to fuck off, you corporate <laughs> shills. <laughs> no, we won't. We won't. I really need money. Um, uh yeah, I mean, I don't want to get too far into this because it's not going to be interesting for listeners, but I have no idea why Zoom has become the de facto video conferencing software at the moment. It's I know, they must be laughing. Useless. Yeah, but it's but it's rubbish. Yeah. It's just Mate, so not in, slow. And not interesting for listeners. <laughs> it's not interesting to me at all. <laughs> Let's, <laughs> Let's move, move on. on. Let's move on. <laughs> so there you go. Um, the album is called Irrational Pull. Uh, the band are called 156 Silence. And if you're one of those guys like me, then uh, you'll probably like it. Um, let's move on to our next record. It comes from Katie Malko. The album is called Failures, and it is the debut full-length album from the UK singer-songwriter. Her first music in seven years since her Tearing Ventricles EP in uh, 2013. Um, Renfrey, you brought this in. Yes. I was familiar with the name, okay. but I have to say very. I was familiar with very little else okay um so who is katie malko for those of us who don't know well full disclosure to get it out of the way katie is a friend of mine um but a incredibly talented friend and i became friends with her through liking her music so i'm taking this one um i think i saw first saw katie malko supporting Tellison at a gig probably six years ago or something like that you like them don't you i fucking love Tellison. Um, it was not long after Tearing Ventricles had come out. So if Tearing Ventricles is seven years old, probably six years ago. And I just thought she was brilliant. And I went home and bought Tearing Ventricles and she's got two other EPs as well. And I think I can say this. I just wept listening to Tearing Ventricles. I thought it was such a beautiful Jesus. EP. <laughs> I thought it was such a beautiful... I, I, honestly, I thought it was absolutely beautiful. And I even went to the trouble, and Katie can confirm this probably if she remembers, of sending her a message on Bandcamp just to say, your music has touched me so much. I've just been crying listening to your EP. And I hope that's, I hope you take that as a compliment kind of thing. And we became friends from there. Because it turns out she lived just up the road from me. It turns right. out she, and this is person, right. she... That would have been where the block button came along with that was me, <laughs> to be fair. <laughs> She she used to. I live round the road and I've been crying over you. <laughs> Block. <laughs> oh dear. She used to. She used to live up the road in Peckham, which is a couple of miles north of me. So yes. 
Um, and that's pertinent because there's a song called Peckham on this album. Um, I think Katie is wonderful. Uh, and I've been waiting for this debut. I mean, I remember telling her that, like, you know, we should do an article about it on The Independent. And I left the indie two years ago. We've This record has been coming for a long, long time. So I was really trepidatious about it because I, I personally feel like I've got a lot riding on it in a weird way in terms of whether I like it or not, certainly. Um, really intrigued to know what you boys think of it, obviously, because I have, a, I guess, a some, somewhat of a bias, I suppose. But I fucking love this album. I think it's really beautiful. And I think Katie's done a wonderful, wonderful job of it. It starts with that song Animal, which is mm. a very 90s guitar driven pop yeah. number, sort of in the spirit of um, Cheryl Crow or Natalie Imbruliger, I thought. I would say the two touchstones for me, 100%, is Amy Mann and Liz Fair. Uh, ah. yeah. and there's records by both of them if you like this album there's an album by Amy Mann called Whatever and there's one by Liz Fair called Exit in Guyville and they're their two kind of I guess seminal 90s releases and it's absolutely in that world I really liked cool. it I thought it was beautiful as you say and just really layered and textured and um, there's two I guess I was reading up the two singles Brooklyn and Fractures right are they the singles? yeah amazing yeah. amazing songs like those two songs Brooklyn. alone you can listen to them and if yeah. you're into them dive in on the album yeah i think she's a great songwriter very affecting sound and i i loved listening to it. i was reading she toured with bob mold as well which i thought was fascinating yeah um yep. i i've supported bob mold twice and he is the loudest person i've ever seen perform live he brings his own sound desk on the road with him and I supported him as a DJ twice at the Brooklyn Bowl. He liked my set wow. so much after the first one, he invited me to come back again. But their sound system was incredible and massive anyway. He brought his own. And you know, in cartoon sketches, when something's so loud that your face is like blown back as if it's being blown yeah, yeah, by yeah. wind, his gigs are like that. They're so intense. And, and, I, I saw and him dialed up to the max and I would have loved to have seen her open up for him because his fans are the kind of people that I think would really appreciate that end of the musical spectrum as well as this really fucking amped up in your face loud rock and roll um <laughs> but yeah I, think I was wondering if you were going to end that sentence or not <laughs> amy amy man and liz fair it's absolutely in in that world of kind of 90s not to use the term female fronted because i hate it and she probably would too but very much if you're familiar with that kind of pop rock female fronted flavor of stuff from the 90s then this is a record that you get on with. I think I think it coming from the viewpoint of a woman does change what it is ever so slightly. So I, I think I think that's the nuance in that, yeah, you know, let's not have female fronted as a genre one hundred percent. But yeah, it but having the female perspective does change does there is a shift there, isn't there? I think. I, I think it's important as well. And what a great show you guys have to be able to go from fucking one five six silence, seething rage to this, which is the polar, polar opposite. And, you know, just as a side note, what a great show you have to go through both of those seamlessly. But I think as guys, again, to go back to what we were talking about earlier, if I don't sound like I'm too much on my picket fence here or my, my soapbox, <laughs> as it were, I think it's really important for us as men to listen to more music that's from the female perspective and watch more TV shows that explores that and, and read more books that explore that. Because if, like what we were saying earlier, we want to understand you know, our fellow brothers and sisters more and not just surround ourselves with white 
macho kind of art then you know listening to stuff like this is is really important because it is a distinctly female perspective and a distinctly female voice and i gained a lot from listening to her songs and her stories and just the sounds that she creates as well if that makes sense without sounding too preacher man absolutely no no no, not at all um just to kind of add into the 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 sort of chorus of you know positive feedback to this record yeah um I I think this is you know the the particularly those '90s style washes of stuff like Bob Mould makes perfect sense to me when you listen to you know when you listen to Sugar um, uh, and you know the, the kind of the Creation Records esque sounds on some of them the Teenage Fan Club and the yeah. Slow Dive and the shoe the shoegazy stuff but you know and the American like stuff quite, as well right like Lemonheads and Afghan Wigs and yeah early smashing pumpkins i mean you know i think all of those things are, are, are sort of relevant comparative comparative touch points um for this record but because of her voice you get something which you know if you had a, a dude front in this band you would just go oh it's you know it's it's ride you know like but particularly on those songs <laughs> that are more of the kind of 90s stuff but she does bring like a really beautifully like you guys said a kind of really beautifully poetic um ethereal quality to it i mean there's one song you mentioned brooklyn i think her vocals this kind of it's a a really effortlessly seamless natural thought process of a vocal that just flows like some people have a they do the chorus and then there's a pre-chorus and then the chorus comes in and for but on that track it's almost like it's one the whole vocal is like one breath yeah and it's really brilliant it just sort of changes in the as it just comes out of her mouth like like a thought do you know what i mean like it's not she, like a vocal pattern that it's been thought about it's just like something which naturally seems to come out of her yeah it's um, like she's just naturally pouring out her thoughts yeah. and her feelings and it feels and it I, act it actually reminded me that song vocally even though i think musically it, it's got more than like you said it's got more to do with those kind of 90s things vocally her her vocal approach on that although her tone isn't really the same but the actual pattern of the vocals kind of reminded me of Tracy Chapman, which again is not nice. somebody that we would we would usually kind of bring up, but there was a real sort of folksy um, feel to that vocal alongside those those kind of nineties guitar parts, which it's not the it's not the most revolutionary thing for mm. a, for an artist to do, but it doesn't immediately just go, oh, you can't immediately just go, oh, well, that sounds like that. And that's Absolutely. what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. You know, when you hear a pop punk band, you go, oh, you like Green Day. That's it. Right. Do you know what I mean? It's it's a, it's different enough for you to go, oh, what a kind of quirky little interesting way to approach music that is. And yeah, I think this is, um, it's very good, this record. Yeah. Very good. I love it. I'm, I'm really, really, really happy. Um, it's never nice to review friends records and then turn around and say uh yeah i don't think they've quite got it which we have had to do a couple of times on this show um but um, what's been your yeah, most memorable I'd... or least memorable most awkward moment for doing that oh i'd rather not say <laughs> but i'll tell you i'll tell rather you not revisit that one yeah yeah do you yeah. like the band Maz- um, do you like the band mazzy star um uh, i've never I been a mazzy really star no, no. Yeah. never really listened to them. I think Katie reminds me a lot of them as well. There's a there's a bit okay. of that bit of that in okay, there. Okay, cool. Vocally, what Steve was saying, when you that kind of like you get swept up in this ocean of just this voice which, you know, takes you out to sea and you're happy to just ride along and, and enjoy the scenery. 
she's great company to be in and i think i think that was a really good astute point um i hope she doesn't mind me saying this because it could come across as sounding um uh like a, a negative thing but she's very very casual live um in terms of uh nonchalant but that's yeah you can kind of hear that in the music it sounds effortless yeah. to her and that's a yeah. good thing i think it's yeah. not it's yeah. not affected yeah she's she's also i mean she will blush at me saying this but she's also fucking hilarious live she's really funny uh but in quite a self-deprecating manner i mean i must have seen katie six or seven times over the years um and she always has me in tears with laughter and then about three minutes later i'm in tears of <laughs> is that restraining order coming back fucking hell <laughs> get Get this guy a bottle of gin. <laughs> because I find her music affecting, for fuck's sake. So, um, I mean, just to kind of close up on this sort of musical stuff, like September, I think, you know, to take to, to move away from the sort of guitars and the vocals, the rhythmic drum part in like September, I think is fucking brilliant. Really nice underscoring of, of, of that guitar wash stuff. Go on. Just a quick aside there. September's actually a re-recorded version of one of her songs from Tearing Ventricles. And um, okay. uh, I just wanted to point out that I've known the Tearing Ventricles version for about six years. So to hear a song re-recorded, it's not very likely you're going to love it straight away because you're used to the original, yada, yada. I loved this straight away. I think both versions mm. are brilliant. And I think if you like September, absolutely check out the Tearing Ventricles version. But yes, just wanted to point that out. Yeah, I really like the kind of the 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 piano. I mean, the piano is just a, a lovely instrument, yeah. and particularly in this context. On you mentioned the song Peckham, um, which is brilliant. Yeah. I think Creature is probably my favourite song on the record. That's more of a kind of alt rock song. Um, you know, sounds like a very a bit of a kind of calmer My Bloody Valentine. Mm. Um, I I like it. I like it a lot. Okay. Well, anyway, any any more for any more on this record? Or are we all all giving it the thumbs up? But it's fucking wonderful. Double thumbs up for me. It was a nice introduction yeah. to my day. I thought all the music I was going to be getting was going to be hardcore, loud, aggressive. So I was prepared for that. And then this yeah. was this was a really nice palate cleanser and a really nice welcome surprise. And uh, she's mm. definitely going to be an artist that I'll be revisiting a lot. So thank you for the introduction, fellas. No worries. Definitely go. Right. Definitely go and see her live as well. I've seen her support. Yeah, right. Like I will in twenty twenty two. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> when gigs are a <laughs> thing but, again, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've seen her support so many cool artists, and she's always been. You remember her even after the main show, and I've always felt that about Katie. So she's fucking great. Hmm. So that's the album Failures by Katie Malko. Let's move on to our last record of the week. It comes from The Weapon, as I teased a little bit earlier. Uh, the album is called A Repugnant Turn of Events. It is a debut full-length album from Jesse Leach, he of Killswitch Engage fame, uh, his proper hardcore band. This is an 18-minute long, nine-track, politically charged, hardcore rager of a record. Um, guess what I think about it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm really pleased that you um, love this. You purchased yeah. you purchased this off Bandcamp with absolutely no off. hesitation whatsoever because no. we were struggling no, no, no. to get a review copy, and yeah. like, there's no way Steve would normally just buy an album just to review hey, it. Come on, <laughs> come on! But with <laughs> this, plenty of albums. With this, I'm there going, oh, this is going to be a problem. How are we going to get the promo? And like, ten seconds later, Steve's like, right, I bought it. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was fine. And uh, did you yeah. regret your purchase or not? It was nine dollars, I believe. 
Yeah, it was nine. It's basically a pound a song. Yeah. Um. So it's basically a pound. So if if any of their songs were the normal length of a song, <laughs> yeah, it'd be quite expensive. I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> but they're short songs. I mean, you know, the first three songs combined are just over three and a half minutes. Full blown buzzsaw hardcore. I mean, that last song of the three, slaves, um, slave state is the last and best of them. It's such a banger. It's a slave state. I mean, this is, as I said before, <laughs> if you like the idea of Jesse from Killswitch Engage doing Minor Threat, MDC, Agnostic Front, uh, pff, I struggle to wonder how you wouldn't like this record. I mean, Matt, you brought this to me. Um, Go on, give us a, give us your a thoughts on it. Well, Jesse sent it to me a couple of weeks back, and I couldn't wait to get stuck in. And as you say, all those touchstones there are definitely there. There's a little bit of the more street punk, hardcore end of rancid at times as well. I think there's a bit of the Bronx in there too. And I know that a lot of what he's talking about is fairly timeless, you know, repeatedly visited themes in hardcore, but enforcers just a song about you know police brutality and there's the lyric one rule for them yeah. and a separate one for us who are we to depend on and who are we to fucking trust and he sounds seething when he's delivering that vocal this is obviously a song written and recorded you know a few months ago at least mm. and it just sounds like it's a record about today right now um and it makes it all the more vital and visceral and intense and enjoyable and it's also weird because I've just put up a Patreon bonus podcast on my page with uh, Brock Lindo from 36 Crazy Fist from years ago. I recorded one, I think, like a radio interview with him when we were at Team Rock, me and you, Steve. So it's, it's about five years yeah, old. I remember that. And he was talking about how they used to tour a lot with Killswitch back in the day. And we were talking about Jesse. And he, he says in that interview, Jesse is like the white Bob Marley. Like if hardcore and metal has a Bob Marley type figure... He said, Jesse's about as close to that as we have. This guy who's very empathetic and spiritual and revolutionary and political. And, you know, this record is Jesse through and through. Like, I don't want to take anything away from the musicians because the tracks are fucking great. And they all offer a lot of different textures and tones as well, which we can talk about. But I just think Je mm -hmm. Jesse's spirit is all over this album. And if you are upset or angry or confused about what's going on right now in particular, but historically just throughout the years with Injustice and all of those things, this is a record that speaks to all of that. And it just makes me want to tear down fucking walls, but in a positive way. That is why this type of hardcore, I mean, like we, again, to bring it right back to the very start of the episode, what we were talking about, until there is a massive societal change and, you know, you can go back to 92 with the riots and you can go back to 1965. You could have put this record on today. You could have put it on in 1992. You could have put it on on the birth of hardcore in 1980. You could have put it on in 1965. And every single time it would have sounded angry and it would have sounded pissed off and it would have sounded relevant because these things are still going and they've been going on for years and years and years and years. And people can go like, oh, you know, it sounds dated. Oh, it's another hardcore band singing about this. These things aren't going away. These, these aren't cliches that <laughs> Jesse Lee isn't coming up with fucking cliches. The reason why hardcore sounds so fucking vital and brilliant when it's like this is because, like you say, it sounds like the sound of frust the frustration that, that everybody feels. I, I mean, 
obviously I'm a fucking mark for this type of music. There's no getting away from it. And, you know, obviously in comparison with 156 Silence, um, just like 156 Silence are musically more, um, what's the word? They're more kind of uh, angular and weirder um, and sort of more savage in, in sort of those odd sounding sounds and those twists and turns that they take rather than being kind of straight ahead. Da, 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 da. This more, is hardcore. More experimental. Yeah. Li- yeah. More experimental. Not as kind of classic sounding, mm. but I don't really know what anything on the one, five, six silent album is about. I mean, the, the dude sounds pissed off and angry mm. through most of it. You know, like what all of these songs are about. Like you, you can like you, you write, read those lyrics out, Matt, even though Jesse is, barking and screaming as hard as he does in any Killswitch album, you can still hear the lyrics and there are, you know, there are hooks. I think getting hooks in, in, in hardcore is, you know, it's one of the hardest things to do to make guitar parts and vocal parts memorable in furious types of music. And we say it all the time within metal. Like, especially dude, especially if the hooks. songs like under a minute, like a lot of these are. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, 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 and I mean, you mentioned the kind of street punk thing. You know, Shotgun Anarchy is oh, brilliant. It's got this kind of oi, it's the jam. Oi feel to I it. cannot wait to yeah. DJ that out and about. Shotgun Anarchy is a banger. Pink Tax mm. is a fucking tune as well. And then there's the song Unstoppable, which sounds like you know Rancid off the Rancid record with large with Lars Fredrickson singing. And there's some lyrics mm. in that again, right? Listen to this. Let's start a revolution. Take apart this institution. We can break free in unity. Be a part of the solution. Your voice is your contribution. So sing with me. Again, that could just be written today about what is going on in America right this second. Yeah, that reminded me of Sick of It All. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Sick of It All, that song. Yeah. Um, Renfrey, you're uh, you're a sort of a fan of this type of hardcore, but you're not like a a mad mad fan like me. Um, I'm not a mad boy. What do you fan think for it? Hey, hey. he's done it. Uh, he's actually done it. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, look, this is this is exactly what it says on the tin, isn't it? And the tin says Jesse Leach from Killswitch Engage doing Black Flag slash Minor Threat esque old school hardcore. And the idea of that appeals to me um, more than a Killswitch Engage record does, as a matter of fact. Uh, and I l- We'll talk about that in a second. <laughs> Have we said um, the title of the album either? A Repugnant yeah. Turn of Events. We did, yes. Yeah, yeah. Steve. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Um, and it's, this is, yeah, this is really good. I mean, if that's what you are expecting and that's what you want, Jesse Leach doing, you know, Minor Threat S Hardcore, that's exactly what you're going to get. But I think, like you said, Matt, like, it's actually surprisingly diverse as well, this record. I think a lot of the issue that I have with that era of hardcore quite a lot of the time is I never dislike the sound of it, but it doesn't take that long for me to get kind of a little bit bored of the continual assault battery. We talk about this with metal all the time as well. Um, <clears throat> and that's why I tended to go lean more towards newer forms of hardcore refused as my introduction to it which would add different elements which would like stonewall you a little bit this doesn't have that but at 18 minutes it it has enough dynamism to keep you engaged for the whole 18 minutes it probably could have been a tad longer if they'd really wanted it to be i'm quite happy with it being 17 minutes and 34 seconds but you know it probably could have been um and i think that's a really really good sign it's always good when bands know when to get in and get out uh, it's really direct. Definitely hearing loads of the Bronx, especially on the Unstoppable song that you mentioned as a highlight, Matt, which I thought was great. 
I, I like it. it I, I'm, it's, this is never going to be like my favorite record ever. Um, but I don't think that's its purpose either. It's, it's just, it's just a really cool side project thing. Is it fair to call it a side project? Yeah, I mean, I don't think they're ever going to be overtaken Killswitch in terms of popularity. No, no. No. Although saying that, I mean, this is what I was going to say, though. Um, uh, He sounds, I mean, Jesse's a punk, right? He's a fucking punk. And he no no wonder he sounds so good doing this. Do you know what I mean? Um, But he arguably sounds better than he sounded in the last couple of Killswitch Engage albums. In fact, funnily enough, like... um, I was pretty down on Incarnate, you know, as a, a even as a, a Killswitch fan, I thought it was pretty crap. Um, I thought the last one was all right, you know. I thought it was too long, and there was probably a good EP six, like a good EP's worth of material in there. Sounded much better live than it did on record. Um, they've just released the Atonement B sides album, Killswitch Engage, quite recently. And when you listen to those songs, if any of you have listened, you'll probably know what I'm talking about. Like, those songs are far heavier. It would have been a very different record if some of those B-sides had ended up on that record. Mm. And I think it says quite a lot about metal. And it says, unfortunately, it says quite a lot about where Killswitch and Gage are now that they chose to just chug, chug, chug along on that record when there's, there's some pretty fucking intense, savage, quite punky sounding stuff on that atonement b-side stuff that i would imagine jesse had a fairly large hand in creating that they chose to leave off the record and this almost feels like him going well we didn't get to do that properly so fuck it i'm gonna do it properly here on my own with these people instead um yeah this is better than the last couple of kill switch engage albums by far right i think i think the comparison really is totally moot uh, uh, obviously, I understand why you're making it, yada yada yada. But it is it's completely different music. There are plenty of Killswitch engaged fans who this is going to do nothing for whatsoever, uh, and vice versa. Um, I prefer it to the last few Killswitch Engage albums, but I don't think that's particularly difficult because I'm not a massive Killswitch Engage fan. So um, I mean, I don't prefer it to what was the last good Killswitch Engage album. <laughs> Well, Disarm the Descent was the last yeah. good Killswitch Engage yeah, album. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah, and I agree. I think that's a great record. I don't prefer it to that, but then that is going back a while, isn't it? And and it's it, it's still it's still a ridiculous comparison, really. I think it is. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it is a completely different type of music. The other kind of the thing about it, which I noticed, is as we've been pointing out, this is very kind of politically, socially charged. Mm lyrically whereas the last couple of kills which engage albums have had that um uh i i think jesse actually deserves a lot of credit for being so open about his struggles with mental health in general but particularly on incarnate which unfortunately musically is doesn't add up to enough to kind of to actually kind of personally affect me but i do think lyrically you know he obviously went to some pretty difficult places on that record mm-hmm. um but again, I think he sounds way more fired up when he is singing about these kind of blunt societal issues as opposed to the um, yeah the more kind of uh, inward-looking stuff from the last couple of Killswitch Engage albums. But that might just be my own personal preference. I think there's some truth to that, but I also would argue that the style of this music demands that. 
it you have to be pent up and you have That's to true. be absolutely furious otherwise it won't work whereas with kill with the sort of thing that kill switch do i think you've got a lot more to hide behind so you can you can or rather you might think that you could get away with half-assing it i mean i don't think jesse I, even for the little i know about jesse leach i don't think he would half-ass anything to be honest if whilst he oh, was no, there. no 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 um, I, I wasn't saying he was half arsing it at all. I was mm. just saying that it's a different kind of thing and I don't think those albums are that good. So the impact of what he was trying to say gets lost a little bit because the music just wasn't that great is what I mean. Yeah, yeah. It's super direct, this record. I mean, you can't mm. take alternative facts from it or alternative viewpoints from it, you know. Um, it's very clear what it's trying to say. Um, I think that's how all good old school hardcore should be it's often music yeah. with a message that they just want to drive home in a minute flat you know be straight yeah. edge uh, cops are bad uh, uh, <laughs> there's a sale on at morrison's on kumquats or after eights oh yeah mate those after eights mm. Can't find um what last couple of killswitch engage albums for you matt Were you, are you interested in killswitch because i know you're interested in jesse as a person um but how do you feel ab about kill switch particularly the last few years i weirdly just got an email from jesse two seconds ago <laughs> it just came in Did yeah you? and it's funny because he over the last three or four years has become like a dear dear friend very close uh we did a q a together in birmingham last summer and after the q a we just stayed up all night in my hotel room just drinking playing music chatting until the sun came up and He's just become someone that I look to for guidance a lot in my life and inspiration. And um, he wrote a really, really like generous, well thought out, amazing quote in regards to my upcoming book for the website. And he's actually, we're going to be recording an episode for my podcast next week where he interviews me. And it was his idea. He messaged me and he was like, I want to interview you for your show because I think it would make for a really interesting shift in dynamic mm. so he's like he's very invested in me and my life and vice versa but what's weird is i don't think we've ever once in the in-depth conversations that we've had of which there have been many over the years we've never really spoke once about kill switch um because they're not really the reason why i'm drawn to him that they're mm. not really the kind of band that i listen to and and take a lot from there's certain tunes that i love i loved in due time was probably the last like single that i loved by them um, after yeah. Samba Descent, but our connection is more of a spiritual, soulful connection. And then that relates more to Scar. And, and I'm talking like Toots and the Mayos when I say that, not Real Big Fish. Mm. And, and, <laughs> and, and reggae and punk and hardcore. And our musical touchstones and our connections aren't really anything to do with Kill Switch. So I think he kind of knows that because we've never really spoken about the band. And I'd never, re I mean, I much prefer him in the band to, to Howard Jones. But mm. I've never been a massive fan of either of the incarnations of Killswitch. I've always just been a huge fan of Jesse as a human. And when he sent me this link for the weapon, I was like, I would like to hear you just do this all the time. I mean, if, this, if, <laughs> this, if he could make a living from this band to the extent that he does from Killswitch, I'd be happy to see him do that. But I also know as much as he is a punk and a skin and you know he's into hardcore and Scar and all of that, he does love death metal and heavy metal and he's a proper metal dude at heart as well 
And I think that's what makes him such an interesting front man is he really is one of the few that is all of it. You know, maybe like a Randy Blythe is all of it as well. But there's only a couple, isn't there, in the metal world that are authentically all of it and are inspired by, yeah. by all of it. Um, mm, but yeah, the last two Kill Switch albums didn't do a lot for me. Certainly, I think the, the Disarm the Descent record was the last one that I, you know, enjoyed. But as I said, for me, I'm more about Jesse and what he's all about as a human than, than his musical output until now. Um, and I, fuck, I, I adore this record so much. And I think he's done an amazing job with it, as have his bandmates as well. Yeah, I, I really, obviously, I really like this. I mean, obviously, <laughs> Jesse Leach doing Black Flag. Come on. I mean, that's how I sold it to you on it, Renfrey. I just went, yeah. Jesse Leach has got this album. It's Jesse Leach doing like Black Flag. And you were like, uh, and I was like, no, we have to. We have to. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you say that. I kind of wasn't, though, because because that does actually like Jesse Leach. I, I, I like Jesse Leach a lot as well. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, I don't know him like you, Matt, but as a person, he comes across very well in interviews and I've seen Killswitch a couple of times. Why has it just been once with Jesse? I can't remember, but um, you know, and I always think he like, he's an incredible front man. I've always said that of him and an incredible um, persona and incredible um, performance. You know, there's a lot I admire about Jesse Leach. It's just... He's the, the real deal, isn't he? Yeah, it's yeah. just the majority of the music he plays on isn't for me. Um, but but no, the idea of this, I really, really liked. And it definitely... My expectations were um, f relatively high and it was met. So, um, yeah, I, it's... It's it's uh, it's my least favourite record of the week, but it's also the least the record which is least for me, if that makes sense. The other mm. two are a bit of me, whereas this isn't. I mean, um, the one five six silence record, I'm assuming, is Matt's least favorite record of the week. But at the same time, that's just because it's not for you, isn't it? Of you course, know? yeah, yeah. So, and that yeah. you know, taste is objective, isn't it? Yeah, or yeah, subjective. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, uh, and this this is this is um, I'd still say this is a record that I'd like and I'd pick up. Uh, it's it's just the least for me record of the week, but I still think it's great. Like it it has a purpose and it fits its purpose perfectly. You can't really argue with that. You can't say, you know, it does what it sets out to do. And Bill, Bill Oddie well, went and bought it, didn't he? Yeah. Well, I'm not going to say. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to say I'm um, like Billy Boxtick or anything, but this is three for three this week for me. All three of these records I think are fucking great. Um, and yeah. I mean, this is a slam dunk. This is easy. This is like, feels like it's been plucked from my brain and <laughs> as an idea. Uh, this is one of those Alan Partridge, Jesse Leach plays Black Flag. Lynn, and then, like, it's, it's actually happened. Uh, the album's called A Repugnant Turn of Events. It's by The Weapon. It is well worth nine of your English pounds on Bandcamp. So go and get yeah. it. Or, eight, uh, or 18 gonna... of your minutes, if that works. Yes, I'll 18, definitely 18 have 18 of your, your minutes. Time. Yeah, for sure. Um, Right, we're going to end with Broken Records, our search for the worst album ever made. This is a new thing that we haven't done with you on the show, Matt, before. So let me just give you a kind of rundown of what we've been doing. Basically, every week we pull randomly an album from the hat full of shit, which is what I've got here. It's a hat with all the albums cut up inside it. I'm just showing Matt on our little uh, FaceTime screen there. And, um, That's my hat, by the way, Matt. 
It's my hat. Yeah, it's Matt's. It's um, Renfrey's hat, Matt, and I've taken it and I filled it with bad albums. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we have a list going at the moment. I'm going to read you the rankings so far of uh, of what we've done um, from kind of I think it's twelve now, twelve down to one. It is twelve. So um, starting from the best down to the worst, we have uh, the best of the worst is Bob Dylan's Self Portrait, which um, I think you'll probably agree with is not a bad album at all, really, is it? That's when you were trying to call me, wasn't it? Yeah, and ask you what you thought about it. Well, yeah, I mean it's not his best, but it's Bob, so it's never going to no. be the worst, is it? No. Yeah. So we got Bob Dylan self-portrait. We got Lou Reed Metal Machine Music. We have Lauren Hill's MTV 2.0 Unplugged. The Enemies Streets in the Sky. Dirty Vegas is one. Famous First Words by Viva Brother. Louis the Fourteenth Slick Dogs and Ponies. Queen and Paul Rogers The Cosmos Rocks. Richard Ashcroft's United Nations of Sound. Not even in the top three anymore, which is wow, unbelievable. Um, uh, the self-titled debut and only album from Eog and Quig off the X Factor at number two knocked off the top spot last week Six Feet Under's Graveyard Classics Volume 2 and a brand new number one from last week Blood, Sweat and Towers by the Towers of London now officially the worst record that we have heard ever so far I just want to stop you there Steve because I want to tell people that I have actually put all of these records into a playlist uh because i noticed we had uh 12 and i thought that's a nice time to actually uh conglomerate all of these records together and uh we challenge you during this time of semi-lockdown are we in semi-lockdown now uh if if you're bored out of your skull uh feel free to listen to the torment and pain of that playlist uh if if you want and let us know how far you get um in the playlist of pain it starts with the worst release so it starts towers of london and goes onwards Ooh. six feet under's not on there unfortunately so you have to, to <laughs> unfortunately YouTube, <doesn't> <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah i just uh, wanted to point that out because uh that was fun good fun. sounds <laughs> worth listening to um <laughs> so anyway to add to that list this week we have bush black and white rainbows uh, an album released on the 10th of march 2017 so i believe it's the newest album that we have uh, that we're going to be putting in so far. It's the seventh album from the UK grunge superstars, the third album from their comeback period, uh, and the last album to feature their original drummer, Robin Goodridge, who was actually the only member of Bush other than Gavin Rossdale to rejoin the band back when they reformed in 2011. So Bush, before we get into it, I don't care who knows it. I quite like the first two Bush records. 16 Stone and Razor Braid Suitcase. I think we kind of said it before. Great records. I quite, unfairly maligned. I quite like the first three. So bloody hell, <laughs> Matt. I remember when I was a kid at school. I didn't go to the show, but one of the first gigs that my group of friends all went to was Bush, and they spoke about it the next day. I don't think I'd been to a gig of any kind at this point. Um, I soon after went to my first show, which was One Minute Silence and Mudvayne in Wolverhampton. Wow! But these lads all went to see Bush, and they came back, and the next day in school. They were talking about stage diving and mosh pits and they were describing this show like it was the most chaotic, just scenes of carnage. And that was their introduction to, you know, like a rowdy rock and roll show. So I think back in the day, you know, they could hold a candle to the people that they were aspiring to be, you know, in the same pool as, but perhaps weren't treated with the same reverence and respect. Go on. 
Would that have been around 99, 2000? Exactly then. Uh, exactly then, yeah. Uh, I went to that show in Bristol at the Colston Hall. Uh, and I know that off the top of my head because it was my third ever gig, I think. Uh, and I can confirm it was uh, very rowdy. Very rowdy. Bush was my third ever gig. I saw them at the Forum uh, just after Razorblade Suitcase came out. I saw, I went to Reading and then I saw Terrorvision supported by Feeder in Southampton. And then I saw Bush at the Forum nice. in February 1997. And um, Seal was there. Kiss from a Rose Seal. We saw him getting into a, a limo. This isn't like that time I saw Moby in Sainsbury's, is it? No, no, it genuinely was Seal. Oh, wow. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, Seal and same, exp- same experience there a couple of years prior. Was that gig rowdy and unhinged and good fun? And- I mean, I, I, it was good fun. It was definitely good fun. I thought they were great. I mean, I saw them a couple, I saw them a, a, about a year later with, I saw them at Reading Festival about a year later and I saw them with, supported by Three Colours Red at the now defunct Kilburn Forum as well one of the kilburn ballroom it was which is i only went to once for that gig and and it was great i mean i think three colors red did a number on them that night but um but yeah i mean the the sort of the the backlash against bush i didn't really understand it at the time and it's taken me until now to kind of work out what that was which i guess we'll get into but you know um as much as i liked bush back then when they came back i have to say i was pretty nonplussed and I'm not really bothered about the fact that they were coming back. In fact, I was actually sent the album before this one that we're about to talk about, 2014's Man on the Run, while me and Matt were doing the breakfast show on Team Up Radio, and I never listened to it once. I was sent it uh, when I was at The Independent, and uh, I was asked if I wanted to have an interview with Gavin Rosdale. And I was quite keen because I was like, oh, Gavin Rosdale, he'd be cool to talk to. And, you know, I hadn't followed Bush massively since they came back, but I thought he'd be an interesting guy to talk to. And I said, just send me the promo before I say yes or no for sure. And I listened to Man on the Run once, which is the previous record. Man on the Run. (laughs) (laughs) Sent an email back straight away saying, I'm really sorry, but I can't do this because I can't talk about this record because it's fucking terrible. Wow. Did yeah. you ever listen to it, Matt? You must have got sent that album as well. No. I'm saying, presuming you... Nah. Nah. I wish I hadn't listened to this one, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get we'll get into that. So basically, I think what all three of us can kind of agree on is that Bush were a band for a specific time. In that kind of late, mid to late 90s period, they got a lot of shit that I think they didn't really deserve. Um, so for a bit of context for this record, I think it was and probably why it's here. It was something of a shock when Gavin Rosdale was added to the judging team on ITV's uh, The Voice at the start of 2017. Like, I don't... How did that happen? I mean, I can kind of sort of, sort of understand why he did it, but I can't really understand why he was asked in the first place. I mean... It's the Gwen Stefani connection, isn't it? I think when you're in a power couple, uh, obviously they've split up now and she's with some country guy. But I think when you're moderately famous and she's obviously way more famous than he is, being with her made him a lot more famous than he would have been had they never got married. And it made him a household kind of name with that connection because she's obviously, you know, a pop star now. Yeah, I mean, they'd actually split up by this point and 
Uh, and and it seemed like a bit of a misjudgment on his part because back in the day on those kind of awful pop star shows or whatever, you could just be some record producer like Pete Waterman or Louis Walsh or whatever and people wouldn't really care. But unfortunately, these days on those shows, you have to actually be a celebrity. And the reaction to Gavin Rossdell being on The Voice, I watched it a couple of them just out of kind of... Um, curiosity really but gavin rossdale a quiet intelligent thoughtful man on a show of such idiocy <laughs> with fucking will i am on it spoke volumes i mean the reaction to him spoke volumes about the levels of intelligence of the people that watch those sort of shows i mean he often would judge people and sort of speak about how they could improve their performance or how he liked how they kind of committed to the song or how they connected with the song in some ways and people going oh he's really boring whereas the other judges like will i am for example would just go wow you were the bomb dog yo yo wicked and people would go oh great and that's not helpful in a critical situation so i think gavin rossdale um attempted to sort of bring a level of artistry to the voice which it just isn't there and the fact that he was replaced by ollie Murs in that show <laughs> i think i think says it all um well that pro- that explains did- why he would have been hired though the producers probably thought he can add some credibility to this mm. show and bring some real artistic insight and then it obviously didn't work up but you know didn't work out with the ratings so they probably got rid or he walked uh, yeah i mean i think it did bring Bush back into the general public conscience for a little bit. But ultimately, the UK never liked Bush in the first place. So it wasn't like, you know, Damon, like when Blur got back together and went, oh, when, you know, like if Oasis got back together now and they go, remember the glory days, like the UK never liked him in the first place. So I never thought it was going to be much of a like, oh, great, it's Gavin Rossdale. Because the cooler places that hated them initially we're not going to fucking turn around and be like, oh, we've re- reappraised Bush. Now he's on The Voice. <laughs> and good for him. And he's not going to appeal to twatsy like Rita Ora. Well, so they were on a kind of hiding to nothing and it kind of backfired. And it's a very odd situation, I think. That's that's if his uh, move to go on to The Voice was pre-calculated enough to be like, oh, there's a there's a bush album coming out and this is a way i can promote it um there is some evidence to suggest that just calling it bush featuring gavin rosdale yes um mm. i remember seeing that as as someone who's a bush fan I'm, I'm happy to call myself a bush fan and someone who um didn't i actually saw their first show back on the reunion because i i wanted to believe steve uh and they were <laughs> fine they were fine um far too many screaming girls the ultimate scathing yeah yeah fine for renfrey from renfrey is like the dagger to the heart of every artist it was all right um (laughs) but it wasn't it wasn't a massive embarrassment i think that's the key thing they weren't like it didn't look like they you know gavin rostell still looks i don't know how old he is but he still looks like a young man and he was still going for it and all that kind of thing. And it was at the garage. So it felt like quite an intimate venue for them and all this sort of thing. Um, but I think when I saw, oh God, probably in Sainsbury's or something like that, I saw the cover for this album and I saw that it was Bush with Gavin Rosdale. That a piece of my piece of my soul died that day because 
it was just like, well, I, I, you can't really defend that move, can you? Because, no. you know, and there's stickers of, you know, with Gavin Rosdale from The Voice. And it's like, well, and this album was ready and recorded and made very, very, very quickly after he left The Voice. As a matter of fact, something I read about this, which I couldn't believe, this album was recorded in three days and then released one week later, apparently. <gasps> No. Well, I didn't know that. Now, I am getting that. If you, I don't know if you have the Wikipedia entry in front of you, Steve, but yeah, um, if you look at the little box that they have at the side and it it says record dates, I think it says May 1st to 3rd of May. 1st of March to 3rd of March. There we go. Released 10th of March. There we go. Wow. So it was rush released. Uh, I mean, that doesn't mean that he hadn't been working on it for some time. He might have just, you know, been playing the songs to death at home or whatever and got them really rehearsed and ready for the studio. I mean, if you're going to record 15 songs in three days, you would be rehearsed to fuckery. That's that's an incredible, incredible uh, workmanlike, I suppose, is the rude way to say it. Um, but but it is, isn't yeah. it? It's very workmanlike and it's like, yeah, five songs in one day for a record this big is bonkers but um yeah interesting isn't it that it was recorded in three days and released a week later very very interesting and so as you said it came out on uh on the 10th of march um two pretty tepid reviews classic rock gave it five out of ten and said black and white rainbows won't convert the long-term haters and seems too torpid to mobilize a fresh generation of fans to use a voice analogy there are moments when your hand hovers over the red button but there's never quite enough to make you spin the chair the guardian gave it two out of five and said could this finally be the moment that bush break britain on the evidence of black and white rainbows it remains unlikely album number number seven sands down what little edge the band once had and buffs their sound to banal stadium rock sheen um drowned in sound quite accurately gave it a three out of ten and said should we see the resurgence of bush i wouldn't begrudge it at all ultimately though this isn't a terrible album it's something much worse a pointless one um and another thing from the classic rock album it says bush aren't the abomination of media repute um and i think that kind of that's definitely true um this album really isn't very good no. at all is it no. matt it's not good right you haven't got mad love for it then <laughs> definitely not there's a song on this record track number three called mad love it's the and first it's, single it's just an embarrassment i still got mad love for you i'm like what is going on i mean that was when I tapped out. I didn't get past track three. This is War oh my God. starts the album and it sounds like Yumi at six, yeah. which isn't Mate, a good you, thing. And then Nurse, Nurse, I was like, this is just... And then it's, by the time it got to Mad Love, I just tapped out. I couldn't get any further. You need to hear the Richard Ashcroft album. You're, I've heard you, that. You found... That came out when oh, I was on you? Kerrang! The RPA in the United Nations of Sound, yeah. yeah I yeah. said to Steve, <laughs> it makes BDI sound like Sergeant Peppers or something. <laughs> yeah it's That's pretty so bad true. yeah mm. um um yeah it, it, it's not good this record i mean it's not good i mean the lead like i said mad love the lead single overwrought and if that's the lead single i, know, I mean i remember yeah. seeing them playing that on the voice he did they did that on the voice and i was like fucking hell it's just a lyrical is, embarrassment this, isn't it that one mm. well so i mean look let's be honest right 
Gavin Rostell has always written some pretty shit lyrics. <laughs> I mean, lyrics like um, gotta be like water, gotta be like rain, got to be myself again. <laughs> <laughs> what, He's a poet and he man? knows it. I mean, what, what sort of man is like, oh, I'm not really feeling myself. I need to be more like rain. <laughs> What does that even mean? <laughs> I guess um, it's his way of saying transparent, is it? Water and rain, they're both see-through. I can, who fucking knows? <laughs> I mean, and it's got these kind of tepid, electronic, ethereal parts, which they sort of done, but the choruses are not as big as they think they are. I mean, and there's that song, Toma Mi Corazon, oh, which is dreadful. genuinely t- terrible, yeah, terrible awful song. Awful song. There you go. <laughs> He's putting it on putting for it two on. seconds. Uh, don't don't put it on. Mate. Don't give him the bloody um, streams on Spotify. Sure. Uh, There's a lot of that wimpy electronica stuff on this record, isn't there? Um, mm. They introduced quite a lot of that on the Science of Things, which is the album where you tapped out, but uh, the last I one did, that yeah. I liked. Um, songs like Letting the Cable Sleep and stuff like that. And it's really good on that record, in my opinion. Um, Chemicals Between Us is a good song. Chemicals Between Us is fucking amazing. War Machine. Um, But uh, it's just so wet and wibbly and and just just nothing on this record. Most of it. Um, Yeah. I guess that's why all the original band members left, perhaps, right? If he's the last man standing, there's got to be a reason why one by one they all walked away. Well, two of them never came back. Um, You've got to wonder why that was as well. Mm, mm. Um, yeah, I mean, there's dreadful lyrics on this record. Um, I can't remember the name of the song, but one of the choruses is, is I get lost, lost in you, a safe place to come. Um, I hope, I hope <laughs> See, that's that, consensual. If that, if that was Brian Johnson singing that, sure, fine, that would work. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, uh, it's just, it's, a, it's, it's Bush at their... Bland, you know, when you hear the what people said about Bush back in the day, oh, they're corporate, bland, blah, 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 all that stuff. And I used to be like, really? Are they? I mean, the NME, you know, the famous kind of twat, twat Johnny Cigarettes in the NME who did that hatchet yeah, yeah. job on Razorblade Suitcase, a two-word review, shit, sir, shit suitcase, zero out of ten. And you think, well, mate, you were giving dodgy fucking eight out of ten a couple of weeks ago like, like, you know and cooler shaker like i mean bush are a thousand times better than the a lot of the stuff that the enemy were pimping out as like the fucking future of rock back in 1996 so let's not get too let's not get fucking too twisted that like i think time has shown if you put on razor blade suitcase now or you put on like echo belly i know which one i think is going to sound better and it will be bush um but unfortunately this record does sound like all of the criticisms that were aimed at Bush back in the day come to life. It's almost like they went, oh, what, you thought we were horrible, boring, bloated, weaselly, pointless, watered-down sellouts back in the 90s? Mm. Check this out. Mm. Do you know what I mean? That's what this album is. Isn't it funny, though, because it does seem to happen to a lot of 90s bands, Red Hot Chili Peppers and Incubus being two great examples. Mm -hmm. Their early material is so radical and interesting and fresh and exciting. And you look at both those bands now and the stuff they put out now or have put out, you know, their most recent releases, so middle of the road, so banal. Mm -hmm. 
absolutely um i've had the misfortune of hearing uh all three uh of the bush records that have been released to date uh of the the comeback era shall we say um and yeah pretty much all of the criticisms that they used to get back in the 90s should apply to those records and not what people were saying about i mean Razorblade Suitcase, as an example, we've discussed this on the show before, Steve, is a far more experimental album than people would give it credit for if they just actually gave it a go, you know. Steve Albini producing it. Steve Albini isn't going to let some band just, you know, fucking play a bunch of pop songs, are they? Well, exactly. And to be honest, I mean, for me, it's kind of like if Albini's all right with it, then I'm cool with it. Do you know what I mean? Like that man has such integrity to kind of question that is a little naive, I feel. Well, I mean, I've seen interviews with Steve Albini regarding this and Steve Albini is like, who am I to say you can't make a record? So I will always make somebody's record and try and make it the best that I can make it. Fair enough. So I don't necessarily think that that means Steve Albini was going, yeah, thumbs up from me for Bush. But no, fair enough. I fair just enough. don't think he's enough of a snob to be like, you don't even deserve to make a record, which I think yeah, a lot of other people were saying. Yeah. Um, the kind of irony in all this is that, again, I don't really want to spoil it, but in a few weeks, well, I've kind of already spoiled it with my Metal <laughs> Hammer review, which has been available for like a month and a half now. Um, there's a new Bush album coming out soon. And it's pretty good. Mm. Now, I mean, I don't, I, you could kind of go, oh, well, if only they'd released this that new album then. But I probably it probably wouldn't really matter i mean i think the reason the sole reason that this album is here and the kind of the the length it took for them to record and release it it is obvious is that the album came out to kind of capitalize on what gavin rostell was doing and it's a bad album and also the press rallied round to go how dare you how dare you gavin rostell you know we thought we'd slap you down in the 90s. I do think there is a, a little bit of the how dare you come back to the United Kingdom, which never liked you and you never broke it before. And now you're on ITV. We'll fucking show you. I mean, uh, just, just to I interject, think there's definitely a bit of that. Just to interject, I think there's a lot of that. I, I think, um, I mean, I was going to say, I've heard all three of these comeback records uh, and I don't, I don't like this at all. I, I think that it's got moments. I think People S is all right. I think there are moments here and there throughout the record which are quite good, but they probably only add up to about 20 minutes in total of what is a record that's an hour long. Um, but I don't think this is even the worst of those three records. Um, oh, I, I, I think Man on the Run is worse Man than this record. Man on the Run. <laughs> um their first comeback record, The Sea of Memories, is okay. Um, mm. It's better than this. Um, yeah. This isn't much better than Man on the Run, but I think it is ever so slightly better. Um, right. But it's still not very good. But having said that, in, in when we're coming to... I mean, Matt, you'll, you'll not be familiar, unless you, you absolutely hate yourself, you won't be familiar with all of the records that we've covered on Broken Records. But I think what steve's coming around to and i would agree with this is whilst this isn't particularly interesting or good or it's not very inspiring yada 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 
we've had much 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 worse than this haven't Far we Steve? Worse. Yeah, yeah yeah we've had much yeah. much 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 worse so much i mean this is just a kind of boring rock record yeah, yeah. with some bat with some well, sort what of was that review lyrics. that just said it was not a terrible record it was something worse a pointless one that kind of sums it up doesn't yeah. it that drowns, does, yeah. th- this is one bit from the Drowns of Sound review you didn't read, but I think this sums it up perfectly. This is a collection of songs, nothing more. And that's exactly mm. what it is. It's just a collection of songs. <laughs> and and mm. some of them are okay. Some of them are pretty dreadful. Um, and overall, it's kind of like a, I don't know, maybe three out of ten is probably about right. I might be kind enough to give it a four. Um, but we've. <laughs> oh, I don't know where you're getting that extra point there, from. There are, bit, there are bits and pieces on this record I like, but like mm. overall, it, yeah, it's not very inspiring or very good, and all the stuff around it, him being on the voice and stuff. I mean, I wouldn't have marked it down for those things, those extraneous no. things, because I think that's just nonsense that people yeah, forget about. But, you know, bloated, cynical, boring. Yeah written by committee almost it seems yeah. it's a it's not a good record by any no. stretch of the imagination but that doesn't make bush a bad band in their entirety um and if this record was kind of the low point where he got kicked off the voice and he maybe went Do you know what we spent three days doing our last album and fucking hell and they went away and three years later have come back with a bit of a surprise of a record mm-hmm. and i think chris i mean we'll talk about when we review the album we'll talk about chris trainer mm-hmm. who um Obviously, Chris Trainer is their lead guitarist at the moment. He used to be in Orange Nine Millimeter and Helmet and Rival Schools. He's no mug. Um, Absolutely not. No. <laughs> like so, you know, I, I do think Bush in 2020 are well. They're way more interesting than a lot of those bands in the 90s that were getting hyped by the Enemy. But yes, this is a pretty low point for them. Saying that, we need to rank it. Um, I don't know how many of these albums you have heard, Matt. I would say, for me, it's in between that kind of... I mean, it's definitely worse than Bob Dylan. It's definitely worse than Lou Reed. It's definitely worse than Lauren Hill. Forget about that. To me, it sits within that kind of... We have kind of three really good, credible artists in those three. We have the four horsemen of the apocalypse, as you called them last <laughs> week, Renfrey, of just kind of sad, horny old men. Viva Brother, Louis Fourteenth, Queen and Richard Ashcroft um there's nothing as kind of gross on this record as there is there i mean the hit the terrible towers of london six feet under eog and quig it's just not in the same level of shittiness as that so you're looking at the the kind of that little midsection where there are two just incredibly dull pointless records dirty vegas is one and the enemy's streets in the sky i'd kind of put it somewhere around there to be honest it's pretty simple for me for me it's um smack bang between lauren hill and uh is it the enemy yeah um just because whilst like the enemy and dirty vegas so on and so forth it is a boring record it's not offensive at any point and it's also i think it's more dynamic than the enemy and uh more dynamic than viva brother as well i think you know, there's some rock songs on here. There's some ambient electronica here. There's the odd sort of piano-y bit here and there. It's it's too long and it gets really boring towards the end and it should have been a good third shorter at least. But at least it's not... At least it's got some dynamism to it. And I don't think Dirty Vegas or The Enemy do have all that much dynamism to it. 
I agree. I mean, the enemy is well shoddy, even by the standards of Black and White Rainbows. The, have you ever heard that album, Matt? Streets in the Sky by The Enemy? No, but I did watch the singer from The Enemy uh, have his nose broke whilst watching John Cooper Clark live one night in Birmingham. Oh, lovely He was stuff. talking over John the whole set and this guy eventually snapped. <laughs> Where can I buy tickets for that? And lost his mind and turned around and just went, <laughs> and, and I was like, oh, that's the singer from The Enemy. He just had his nose bust open. It was amazing. Fantastic. <laughs> it deserves it. Oh, yeah, but he was literally I'm talking through the that. whole John Cooper Clark set, which is obviously spoken words. So you, spoken you're sort words, of thinking, yeah. "Why are you here?" So yeah, he got yeah. his he got is his comeuppance. <laughs> is it bad that I feel a kind of genuine warm glow in my pit of my stomach now from hearing that the guy? <laughs> that's my gift to you. Broken. Oh, thanks, mate. Um, and obviously, yeah, Lauren Hill, MTV Unplugged. I don't know if you've ever heard that, Matt. Um, we spoke about it before. I mean, Lauren Hill's a proper artist, and bush can't can't go above lauren here no. so yeah let's put it there um there you go black and white rainbows by bush goes into the list of broken records i'm reaching across to pull out what we're going to be doing next week renfrey are you oh. excited yeah. oh two of them are stuck together we have got two of them are stuck together um ah oh, funnily enough somebody we've mentioned on the show earlier okay the self-titled album by liz fair there we go oh. synergy which famously got, I know, I've never heard it, but I know it got one of the first zeros. I think it was the first zero on Pitchfork. There you go. Oh, well, I've never heard that one, but the album by her exit in Guyville is good. So bear that in mind when you're panning so, her next week. We'll do. <laughs> we, will, yeah. we will do, mate. Don't worry. So um, Liz Fair's self-titled album, we're going to be talking about that on Broken Records. We'll also be reviewing Run the Jewels, which is out now. Unfortunately, we didn't get it in time to talk about it this week, but we'll definitely be doing it next week. I think we're going to be doing Ghost Poet, doing a bit of a catch-up next week, aren't we? We're, so we're doing your catch-up, mate. Well. So it's whatever yeah. you want. Um, and um, yeah, go over to musicism.net, get Riot in capitals in the checkout. And you'll get 25% off if you want to sign up for their online tutorials. Go over to, um, uh, what was the other one? Patreon, that's it. <laughs> Patreon.com forward slash Riot Act podcast and sign up for our £5 tier to hear that Manix and Placebo podcast. We've also got, oh, what else is coming out soon? Lama God and Lama God. Pinkerton are going to going to be the next couple coming out lama got in a week and a half uh i don't know when pinkerton's coming out you're just saying that because i edited it earlier today but i don't know oh yeah that's why yeah um don't know that's recorded that's recorded park life by blur has been recorded um and something else has been recorded as well i can't remember what it is something else um and also we've got a yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna tease we're doing it we're gonna give we've got a very special one coming up which i can't talk to you about but we're gonna do something really fun aren't we renfrey yes yeah good um (laughs) i just i don't i don't like promising things because before they've been recorded and and put in the can you're jinxing uh, it otherwise aren't you well, right, we, right. we our entire career has been jinxing things <laughs> and Steve continues to do it. I don't know why. I'm just like, Cut this are out, you then. never going to learn? This out. Cut this out. Then. Wishful thinking. Like, uh, yeah. Okay. Well, hey, look, go to the Patreon page. We might not ever put any more up ever again. Um, <laughs> there's, a, there's a very small possibility that that's the case. You never know. Yeah. Um, we've also got a writer's review. We should have said this at the start. Writer's reviews that we've done as well on Block Parties a Weekend in the City and Anti-Mask are going to be the next couple uh, over the next couple of weeks as well. And Matt, one more plug for your book, mate. Yeah. Um, thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate the opportunity to give it a little plug. 
And um, if people yeah. want to pre-order, they can head over now to my Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook pages, and the link to pre-order the book is in all of those. Or they can alternatively just go to rarebirdlit.com. And yeah, if they get the book before June 16th with the promo code RBDevotee2020, then they'll get 20% off. But yeah, man, um, hopefully I'll have it finished on time and it'll be out September 6th. And yeah, the next month for me is going to be spent indoors finishing it off. So no sunshine for me, but hopefully June uh, um, won't be the only sunny month of the summer. I've got all of July and August. So fingers but crossed. But you'll be a New York Times bestselling author the next time you come on the show, won't you? So it'll all be We worth can it. hope so. We can hope so. It is <laughs> worth it. You know, it's, it's short-term pain for long-term gain. I literally haven't been yeah. outside or done any outdoor activities in six weeks, but I know that once the book's finished, I'll hopefully have all of July and August to make up for lost time. So, yeah, it's been fun. Thank you for having me on. No worries, Welcome. mate. Anytime, of Thank course. Um, all right. Well, anyway, as I said, we will see you next week. Um, go and do all the stuff that we just told you to do. Yeah, yeah. Run the Jewels and Ghost Poets coming up next week, along with Liz Fair. So we'll see you then. Cheery bye. Cheery bye. <laughs>